1: G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au.
2: T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.
3: From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, Good morning.
4: It is uh, three past nine here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in for Smithy, who is, of course, at the T20 Cricket World Cup. Uh, Coming up on the show shortly, actually, one of the coaching staff of the Black Ferns, Wes Clark, one of the assistants, he's going to join us and we'll talk about Uh, The team's last group stage match against the Scots this weekend kicks off 4.45 uh, in Whangarei on Saturday. They made 10 changes to the starting 15. Obviously going to give some players some game time and maybe look at a few uh, potential options going forward as well. So we'll talk to Wes about that, uh, some of the players coming in, some of the players getting rested, and what they learnt from that Welsh game. We're also going to be talking... Uh, with Ravinda Hunia from Sky Sport on the UFC. That is uh, after 9.30. It is, of course, UFC 280 this weekend. Some big fights this weekend as well. And uh, looking forward to seeing uh, Charles Oliveira up against Makachev and uh, Eljamain Sterling going head-to-head with TJ Dillish or uh, amongst others. So we'll uh, talk to Ravindra about that around uh, 9.30 this morning. After 10... I'm going to head to the UK, catch up with Ricky Henry. He is the Kiwi Ferns coach. Uh, Kiwi Ferns, of course, uh, getting ready for their Rugby League World Cup in the UK. They play November the 3rd as their first game against the French, then November 7 against the Cooks, and November 11 against the Aussies. And I went, hang on, how's this tournament working? And then I looked at the other group. England are in the other group with Brazil and Canada and PNG, and I went, who the hell did this draw? How, how are the... There's, They've had five Women's Rugby League World Cups, right? Three of them have been won by New Zealand and two by Australia. So how are those two teams of the same group? Do you think
5: that draw was done by a certain Liz Truss?
4: <laughs> well, potentially. Potentially. She should have quit before she did that, uh, obviously. I'll mean, yeah. tell you what, so they're going to install a, uh, one of those revolving doors at Number 10 Downing Street, I think.
5: Yeah, didn't there used to be the joke about the Aussies that they would have a rotating door, of prime ministers? Now it's uh, the
4: UK's now turn. Now it's the UK, yeah. For, they, there was, I think it's one of the highly reputable uh, British papers, the Daily Star, I think it was. Uh, they did a joke thing to start with, but it's actually blown up now because um, obviously they'd been through a few Prime Ministers in the last little while. And so they did, who will last longer, Liz Truss or a Lettuce? And they did a Lettuce up with a wig and makeup and uh, and everything and the photo of Liz Truss and they just basically live streamed this camera on them to see and then she's quit and the Lettuce is still going. So the Lettuce won. People now wondering if this is actually the prime minister. Well, I can't, I can't uh, confirm nor deny that. We'll we'll have to, we'll have to get to that a little bit later on. Now, uh, yeah, we'll talk to to Ricky Henry anyway. Got sidetracked, sidetracked badly there. Uh, uh, Ricky Henry, the Kiwi Foods coach. After ten o'clock, we've got a panel today as well. Lavena Good and the Snake Dan McCarty on with us. Uh, That's uh, from ten twenty after eleven. The man, the legend, Chainsaw, Brendan Laney, or Buff, uh, as he's also known, is going to join us to talk the NPC final this weekend between Wellington and Canterbury, and there'll be a Stumped as well, there's a hundred bucks up for grabs uh, from the TAB with Stumped today because I managed to stump Scott yesterday, Mick Guerin's going to join us before 12 as well and we will look at what's happening on the mail run tomorrow and the big harness racing action from the weekend, but... Joining us now is Blackfern's assistant coach, uh, Wiz Clark. G'day, Wiz. How you doing, mate? Good
6: morning. I'm great, thank you. How are you?
4: Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good. Uh, Scotland up next for you uh, tomorrow in Whangarei. Um, obviously, you made a few changes to the, to the starting 15. What are, you, what are you looking for from this group uh, as you head into that match against the Scots?
6: Well, we've got a win first, almost. Um, Scots have had a couple of tight losses, so you know we won't be taking them lightly. Uh, so that's the biggest thing at the moment. And then, of course, um, I suppose we're looking for to give players an opportunity to stake a claim for a position later in the in the tournament.
4: Yeah, I mean, the the last uh, the Scots' last game, they were pretty unlucky, weren't they, to to not get the win over the Wallaroos, especially with the Wallaroos playing with thirteen towards the end of that game.
6: Yeah, they were. I would unlucky, they were close in, in both their last two games. So, you know, they're a good team. Um, I know they had an injured fullback, but other than that, they're, they're very similar to Wales um in the way they play. So, you know, we're expecting, and, and every team so far seems to have stepped up against us. If you look at Australia versus us, and you compare that to Australia versus Scotland, and um, you know, teams seem to step up against us. And I suppose it could be their last game as well this weekend, so they might just come out firing.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be a great test for you guys as well. I mean, I I would imagine that the Scots play similarly to Wales and a lot of those Six Nations teams tend to play a similar style of of rugby. Would that be a correct assumption?
6: Yeah, well, look, they're all stronger than Wales, They kick quite a bit like like the Welsh, like all the Melbourne teams do. So, yeah, I suppose a similar sort of onslaught expected. Um, Their set-piece is pretty good. So, you know, it should be similar.
4: How do you think that sets you up for later in the tournament to play, say, in England or a France, um, having played Wales in, uh, already in Scotland coming up? I mean, you know, we've had a lot of uh, a lot of prep time for this World Cup, but we haven't played too many Northern Hemisphere teams since the end of your tour last year. So how does this uh, set you up uh, for to take on those teams potentially later on in the tournament?
6: Yeah, look, I think it's great, and in fact... You know, we're not sure who we're going to get in the final yet either. So um, well, it could be Wales, couldn't
7: it? But
6: exactly. Yeah, and I probably prefer it was a Northern team rather than playing Australia for a fifth time this year. So yeah, it's good for us to practice defending those mauls, um, to practice other techniques of avoiding the Um and you know, play against a kicking game plan as well. So it's, it's pretty much perfect for us, really.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean that Welsh game. There's been a change in direction uh, since the Northern Tour and, the, and, and with Wayne Smith coming in, it's a, it's a, it's a quicker game, uh, it's trying to keep the ball alive more obviously, um, but you've got to be able to earn the right to do that, to be on the front foot as well. So what did you learn from the Welsh game that you can take further on?
6: Um, oh look, there's probably a number of things. Look, we did a lot of things well. I think we we don't start as well as we'd like to, probably. So, you know, that's that's something we're continually tweaking with our warm up and our game prep and, and how we prepare during the weeks. Uh, to be fair, we've we've trained pretty hard in the weeks at the, um, leading up to this point. So, some of that might become a bit easier as we head into the finals, and that might make a difference as well to our starting. Um, obviously, our scrum did not go that well, so that, that's been a big big focus this week. Um, and you know, the areas we've done well in are things like our counter-attack, um, you know, off getting opposition more So i hoping to get a bit more of that this week as well
4: Yeah, so uh, what's the focus been this week? Are you, are you being f- focusing on that set piece?
6: Yeah, 100% There's been a big focus, particularly on the scrum um, for Both scrum and line and, and There's been some selection changes earlier as well So hopefully uh, some of those will be through
4: And in terms of uh, how the... um, the, I'm not giving you much, am I? No, you're not giving me a whole lot, mate. I I I, I wasn't (laughs) sure if you had finished or if you just cut out then. I was like, hang on. Uh, (laughs) No, fair fair Um, west, you you, you never know who's listening.
6: I never know who's listening, mate. But yes, it has been
4: a focus. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's... um, in terms of size, I know that you've gone for more pace and mobility and, you know, someone like, say, Eloise Blackwell, who's been in the Ferns set up for a long time, she hasn't made the tournament team, but she has a bigger body that, you you know, I, I would look at it and go, you know, she's somebody that could come in handy against these Northern Hemisphere teams. Uh, in terms of size, how do you stack up? I haven't got the calculator out, but how, how do you stack up in terms of size of the forward packs against some of those Northern teams?
6: I wouldn't actually have a clue, to be honest. It's not something we've really focused on. I think for us the focus is that you know we want to play attractive rugby, we want to play winning rugby, and we want to play rugby that suits New Zealanders. So taking on the Northern Hemisphere teams on their own game or at their own game that they're good at, that they've practiced for years, that's the strength of theirs. might not be the best you know, point. So, so we, want to, we want to put a, a spectacle on for, for, to grow the women's game, and I'm not sure that we believe that a, a whole lot of more tries and a kicking game is going to do that. Um so those are the types of players we've gone for. And personally, I think our three locks we've played in the last couple of games have been absolutely outstanding. So, um, you know, they're fitting into what we're trying to do quite nicely.
4: Yeah, it's more uh, the focus is more athleticism than just out-and-out physicality.
6: Well, it's a bit of both. We've got to find a balance, right? But we want to mm. play a game that's high skill, high tempo, attractive to watch, and it's going to grow the women's game Rather than having um, people criticise the women's game or get turned off by the women's game, if they do come on, come and watch these these games, I mean we've got an opportunity here to really show the world what it can look like, and that's what we're trying to do.
4: What have you made of the uh, of the reception to the, for the tournament and to the team? Then, uh, I mean, obviously we haven't got down country because it's all Auckland and Whangarei, but uh, has it been largely positive? You've been happy with the crowds and things you've played in front of?
6: It's been absolutely outstanding. It's, it's interesting, um, as coaches in the last couple of games, we're not allowed on the field, so we haven't warmed up on the field. So it's the first time that I haven't had a real sense of the crowd because you get escorted into the coach's box and you get escorted out of there. So I haven't really had a sense of the crowd. But the people that have been in the crowd, you know, family and friends of mine and of all of ours, have, have really said that it's been fantastic. It, I suppose for me the most heartening thing is, you know, I've got friends who are texting and saying, um, you know, when they were kids, they used to wake up and say, Oh, you know, these are males saying you know, they want to watch the All Blacks this afternoon, and they've got their daughters now. They're overhearing them at breakfast saying, oh, I can't wait to Blacks Amazon this afternoon. So that's really heartening. That's really special. That, um, we're grabbing the hearts of young females that, and attracting them to the game. And then, of course, um, you know, Graham Henry's with us, and the crowd he mixes in is on the other end of the spectrum. They're a lot older, but um, all the feedback he's getting is that they're absolutely loving the games. They're loving the skill set. They're loving the tempo. They're loving the stories behind the players. So all those things have been amazingly positive. And like I said, we feel a sense of responsibility to to make sure that the type of rugby we play is attractive for people to watch.
4: It's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because this weekend we've got the uh, end of the Heartland Championship, the end of the NPC, and then you've got two weeks of standalone Rugby World Cup before the All Blacks get into their end-of-year tour. So really, you know, for rugby fans... Uh, the focus for the next two weeks will be the Women's World Cup.
6: I hope so. I hope people come out and watch. Um, I think Whangarei this weekend is going to have three great games. I think Fiji will be Fiji, and that might just, um, you know, I wouldn't say upset France, but certainly uh, challenge France, potentially Mm. upset them. And, of course, the other game, um, Wales-Australia, is going to be outstanding as well. So I think this weekend is going to be exciting. We've got no idea what the quarters are going to look like yet. We've got some guesses, but we don't really have a confirmation yet so um, that could be even more exciting so hopefully people get out have a look um, and and like I said the feedback so far has been wow this is this is pretty cool to watch it's different than the men's game it's new it's not the same thing we've been watching for a few years now so um, hopefully we can attract more people to the game
4: yeah we'll we'll talk more about the Black Ferns in a minute but interested to get your take on I I had uh, uh, an English journalist Sam by the way um, who does a women's rugby pod uh, in the UK he he's down here to cover the tournament and uh, he, he branded the type of rugby that Fiji play as chaotic, uh, chaotic uh, and said that that is a way that you can upset like England and you can upset France. And he said and it did take England a while to get to grips with the Fijians uh, and the French got, it got beaten up a little bit against the, uh, the Poms last weekend. Uh, he said there was a slither of a chance we could see an upset here. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think there's a
6: slither, slither of a chance sliver of a chance anyone can get an upset in any game. That's the beauty of rugby, right? Mm. Um, I think the more the more varied teams are in their attack, the the, the harder they are to plan for. So as a defence coach, you know I, I like playing teams that are really structured because you can plan for that. And um, CBs be really hard to scout. Like they don't know what they're going to do. How does position to know? So and there's a little bit of that in our games, as you'll see as well. Um, you know we, we're we're trying to do things, finding space on the field, moving the ball to space in different ways. So. Hopefully that makes it hard for anyone trying to scout
4: us. Yeah, and it will. And then uh, Wales-Australia, of course, the Aussies will be missing a couple with those red cards they had. You've played both teams. Yeah. How do you reckon that game will go? Who, who do you think is going to finish second in the pool? <laughs>
6: I'd, hate to, I'd hate to put a statement like that out there, but um, <laughs> I think it's going to be an outstanding game. I think um, the Welsh forwards showed last week that, they, that their CP is really strong, their kicking game's really good. I think Aussie will be disappointed in their overall performance against Scotland mm. I think they really got up against us and maybe didn't back that up in their second game so if they get back to their best it'll be
4: a thriller mate. Yeah, it will be, you should get into politics after your rugby career Wes, it was beautifully, <laughs> beautifully negotiated that answer oh, I try not to make the headlines for the wrong reasons <laughs> No fair mate, fair, fair um, Let's get back to your team then, how's Kennedy Simon looking when do you think we'll see her back on the park
6: when I watched her run yesterday. she looked outstanding. Um, I'm hoping for next weekend it's it's hard to tell. it's a lower league injury, and as you know they you know because we're constantly running and we're constantly on our lower legs, um, they can flare up again once they look like they're going good, so but at the moment she's looking fantastic I'm excited to see her go, and my expectation would be next weekend.
4: okay and the same with um Stacy Yeah, It
6: looks This actually if, um, if it was the final this weekend. Stace probably would have gone out there but I think another week in Hampshire can be the best thing for her so it wasn't my decision I sounded like it was mine but you know as a group we've and Stacy feels like um you know one more week might be better for
4: her yeah well, I mean it's, it's it's sensible at this stage of the tournament I think I think it's probably the probably the right call um what about uh, let's talk about Ruby Tui because um, you know she's taken the 15s game like a like a duck to water as it were I've had a couple of mm-hmm. um, former Black Ferns on uh, over the last you know, sort of couple of months talking about uh, the, the Ferns and this, this World Cup. And some of them have suggested that Ruby has been played on the wing because I'd said, well, you know, from a sevens perspective, the way she runs broken field plays, she might be better placed in 15 rather than on the wing. But the suggestion was that maybe her positional play wasn't quite there for 15s yet. Uh, she was given the the, the 15 jersey for, for, for Wales. How do you think she's progressing in, on that front?
6: Oh, look Ruby's a special human on and off the field, and you know she gives everything to everything and uh, what I love about her is she's she's a true professional in the sense that um you don't need to have um you know long explanatory conversations with her to explain concepts she keeps things quickly and typically she's able to once she gets it go and uh, you know go uh, what like execute that, that whatever she's just learned so um She's taken to it, like you said, back to water. I think she went really well last weekend. Um, you know, Chris I spent another um, uh, an hour or so in front of the whiteboard with her just the other night on her fullback positioning. And, and, you know, we've got a great squad here. So Renee Holmes, the other fullback, is spending a lot of time helping her understand her positioning as well. So like everything with Ruby, I think it's a matter of time. and Usually with Ruby, that's
4: a short time. Uh, Portia Woodman gets uh, a chance to put her feet up this weekend, maybe gives the rest of the tournament an opportunity to catch up on the try-scoring front as well, eh? <laughs>
6: yeah, look, Portia has shared a bit of tightness last weekend going into the game. We've got a few players that we've, we've been on a sand based field, and like I said, we've, we've worked pretty hard over the last couple of weeks, so, um, you know, she's been fantastic. She's been in this environment before. It's good for her to get a wreath and of course you know, Aisha, Aisha deserves an opportunity as well. She was outstanding in the pack four, and um, you know, she holds all sort of try scoring records in Wellington and, and in the FBC. So, really, really exciting to see her go this weekend.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's what a replacement too. You know, I mean, I know Wayne Smith's been uh, pretty exuberant about the way he's talked about her game.
6: Yeah, I look like she's special. She's got some special attributes. Like for her, she's not the tallest player, but she's outstanding in the air. Um, she's a fantastic defender and reads the reads the really well when she's defending. And then, of course, she's explosive when she carries. So, you know. What combination.
4: Yeah, it's going, to be, uh, it's going to be great to see her back out on the park in the black jersey. Um, also going to see Arihana uh, Marino uh captain the side and play halfback. I was kind of surprised that she got the captain's armband given it's only a second test start, uh, but she gets to do that in front of her hometown and too in Whangarei.
6: Yeah, look, is a key part of our leadership group and, um, you know, again, she's strong in, a, in herself. She's a, an authentic person. She's strong in her tikanga Māori, um She's, she comes from up here, and she's got strong ties to the region as well. And, you know, it, it felt like a great reward for a player that's worked really hard to get herself in the best possible shape and position. Um, she works incredibly hard even in her bedroom on her passing, et cetera. So it um, really leads the way for other players um, in terms of, you know, coming from somewhere where maybe she didn't understand professionalism to be now being one of our, our best leaders in that area. So that's a great reward for her, mate. And I think I was a, I don't know if you saw the social media, but there was a loud cheer when she was announced.
4: Yeah, which is great. I mean, Kendra has been so uh, key to the Black Ferns in that position for so long. It, it kind of, uh, you know, for a long time, it's been like, well, if she goes down, what happens? But uh, I mean, Arihana looks like she's she's there, thereabouts. She's, you know, you, you don't lose too much if Kendra's not playing if uh, if Arihana's on her game.
6: No, nah, not at all. I think all three of them. I think Ari Baylor played well last weekend as well. Um, I think we Ari um, Arihana uh, Marino is. Um, Really strong, particularly off the bench, usually. She's got a strong game around the ruck and putting other people into space around her and little sniping runs. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing that against Scotland. We've looked at their defence and how they do things, and we think she'll be a good fit for this game.
4: Where's best of luck to you and the team uh, against Scotland, mate? And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, most of New Zealand wishes you, wishes you all the best, and we're looking forward to that, that playoff footy. And uh, I, I just hope that we get to see you in the final and we get to knock over the palms. I hope you do too mate, thank you <laughs> Go well Wiz. have a great weekend and uh, give our best to the team Thank you very much, appreciate it Cheers, Wiz Clark the assistant coach of the Black Ferns with us here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ, it is
3: 9.22 Summer or winter he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ The countdown to the Australian Open is
5: on. It's time to talk tennis with Smithy. Game set match. Experience the best of the Australian Open and the best of Melbourne with AO Travel. Visit ozopentravel.com.
4: 9.27 here on Mornings with Ian Smith. So talking tennis, well, it's, actually, it's kind of tennis-adjacent, Logan. Um, have you heard of pickleball? I ha- is that the sport that's taking over the world and Tom Brady uh, is getting involved? Yeah, it's kind of like padder tennis. You remember padder tennis as a kid in New Zealand? Oh, It's yeah. like the plastic bats that are kind of sort of halfway between a squash racket and a tennis racket, but they're all plastic, shorter net. Yeah, pickleball, um, because there's a guy, former junior Wimbledon champ Noah Rubin, has quit his tennis career to go full-time as a pro pickleball player at the age of just 26, So it's not like he's going to the end of his career, right? And he said, uh, the tennis court is just way too big and there's way too much ground to cover. I recently came across the pickleball court and it clicked. This is where I belong. This is home now. And in this sport, size doesn't matter because he is 5'9". I suppose in tennis now it is going to the bigger guys with the big serves, right?
5: I would have thought size would matter a little bit. Like his reach for pickleball is not going to be that great if he's 5'9".
4: Yeah, but I mean, I think because it's a smaller court, it's, it's not as important, I mean, because it's a smaller court than tennis, right? So your mm-hmm. you reach isn't as important. I guess he said, I'm not a tennis traditionalist, but there's a love for the sport. And when you see something like pickleball coming in and so quickly taking over, he's saying taking over, uh, the knee-jerk reaction is, you know, get the F out of here. No chance that this sport is going to be anything. No chance it's going to be worth a look. But then I put my ego aside and I was like, wow, I get it now. It all makes sense. And, uh, yeah, as you say, Tom Brady has bought a franchise, so this is going to be the next the next craze to, to sweep uh, sport in the US, do you think? I, 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 Every time something like this comes up, I go back to that movie uh, Basketball that the guys from South Park did.
5: Yeah, look, I don't see it happening. I mean, I don't see it taking over tennis, that's for sure. A game that is absolutely steeped in tradition. As do not see that happening.
4: Yeah, exactly. Again, that's steeped in tradition. You know who's going to be the next person to buy a professional pickleball team and maybe even switch codes? Who? Nick Kyrgios. <laughs> and this has got Nick Kyrgios written all over it. Uh, yeah, but you've got to have Nick Kyrgios at the Australian Open. Well, we could have the Australian open Pickleball Open. That's, that could <laughs> that could yet happen. So, yeah, there you go. Look, uh, that is your, your tennis update. Go and check out some pickleball. Um, Meg Charity, who is a pro pickleball player, has said it's basically like ping pong on steroids if you want an explanation of what this game looks like. So, there you go. That uh, is your tennis update brought to you by Australian Open Travel. When we come back, uh, Ravindra Hunia from Sky Sports is going to talk UFC with us right now, though, it is time for the news and sport with Aroha. Twenty-eight away from ten here on S E N Z Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo ball with you in for Smith you, Leicester lead leads 2-0 with half an hour to go in that one. Uh, Troy's texted through bloody beauty, Ricardo. Fulham and Leicester bet this morning. A bit of cash in the kitty for a busy weekend of sport. You are welcome, Troy. Uh, yeah, that one uh, tipped out yesterday. Looks like it is uh, going to come in because Fulham have beaten Villa three goals to nil. Uh, joining us now to talk UFC, and I no doubt I'll be uh, wasting all my punting money on this this weekend, uh, Ravinda Hunia from Sky Sports joins us. G'day, Ravinda, how are you?
0: Morning, I'm good, thank you.
4: It's a story, mate. How much are you looking forward to UFC 280 this weekend?
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. That press conference really helped with the excitement levels yesterday, so I'm really <laughs> eager to see how these <laughs> fights go down.
4: Yeah, I mean Sean O'Malley might look a bit like um, uh, Ronald McDonald on crack, but uh, I mean <laughs> the, the the way that that went down, that he certainly provides entertainment. I just looked at his ranking and went, it's number 12 versus number one in the Bantams. How has this happened? How has this matchup happened at UFC 280? Because I mean, if he can somehow uh, finish Peter Yarn, surely he is then in line to to take on the winner of T.J. Dillashaw and Eljamine Sterling?
0: Absolutely, that's natural progression, right? If you're fighting the number one contender and you win, then you get that title shot. So to be uh, ranked twelfth and to get that opportunity is huge for Sean O'Malley. I think a lot of it to do, <coughs> sorry, is to do with. What he brings to the UFC, he's a very entertaining fighter. He brings a different type of um, audience to the UFC as well. People want to see, you know, what happens to Sean O'Malley when he goes into a fight. Of course he does. Very, very well, but in the same token, ranked number twelve, he hasn't fought any of the heavy hitters of the bantamweight division. So to be put into a, you know, a, a cage with Peter Yarn, who's number one, who has fought at the top, is going to be a very interesting fight.
4: How, I mean, both of these guys like to stay on their feet, right? It's very unlikely that this, mm. this fight is going to go to the mat. Um, how do you think? Peter Yan approaches this. Is this about trying to take Sean O'Malley past the third round, or is he just going to take it round by round?
0: I think uh, one thing that uh, Peter Yan has come accustomed to is fighting a five-round fight, so Mm. now he's back to three with Sean O'Malley, so the urgency will need to be up there for Peter Yan. He is Traditionally, quite a slow starter, he does take a round or two to, you know, suss out his opponent. So he's going to have to get the ball rolling, rolling quite quickly with Sean O'Malley, with only three rounds to work with. He's, you mentioned, a stand-up fighter. He fights out of Tiger Muay Thai. Um, but he does have a bit of wrestling under him, so he can, you know, try and shoot and try and get points that way. Um, but I do expect to see this as a slugfest. He'll be trying to work that pocket big time, get on the inside of Sean O'Malley, who is a really great, long-rangey fighter.
4: Yeah, I mean, that is uh, where O'Malley does have the advantage. I think, what's his reach advantage? About five inches, isn't it? So, yeah. uh, I mean, Peter Young's used to fighting bigger guys, but uh, it, it's certainly going to be an interesting matchup. And as I say, Stoles make fights.
0: Absolutely, and this one's going to be very, very exciting. Sean O'Malley is no stranger to fighting shorter guys. To be fair, he's actually you know quite tall naturally to be in a bantamweight division. He looks quite odd being so tall and skinny in his division. You know the majority of fighters are quite short, so it's no, uh, it's not un you know uncommon for him to fight fighters that short. But in saying that. The calibre that Peter Yarn brings to this fight is something he's never faced before.
4: Mm, Yeah, I mean, I I look at things like the average fight time and say Peter Yarn's average fight time is 16 minutes. So this guy's not going to gas, right? He's still going to be throwing like it's the beginning of round one at the end of round three. I guess the question is, what's Sean O'Malley do if this goes the distance? How does he look by then?
0: I think he looks okay to be fair like I I think again because it's a three round fight this is Sean O'Malley's world he's not you know it's not um foreign for him to be fighting fights that go the distance. His gas tank, I feel, has never been an issue for him. Um, I do think, though, that Sean O'Malley will be perhaps wanting to finish that fight because I'm not quite sure what his output will look like against a Peter Young, who's you know really fast and dynamic, who can perhaps put, lay a lot more punches and throws um, in a fight than perhaps Sean can because he's throwing from distance and you know, going for precision rather than volume. At the best of times, maybe give or take one or two of his fights. So I don't think gas tank will be a problem for either fighter. It's just going to be who can impose their will the best.
4: Yeah, I mean, Peter Yana, half his fights, well, half his wins have gone to decision. Would that suggest to you maybe he he doesn't have the power to finish someone like O'Malley?
0: Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps he could be right there. Um, and, you know, again, five-round fights makes for a very different look Um a lot of the times you, you can get to the third round and go, "Come on, Peter Young, you need to put your foot down, you need to do something seriously quickly now, and then, in the last two um, rounds of a fight, he, it, it all comes, it all unfolds and he's throwing and he's you know and it's a lot more of a war in those last two rounds. so if he can get in there quicker and impose his will and power fast, I think he will have he will have success in that area but Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if he can actually do that.
4: Yeah, now the winner of that fight, as I mentioned, uh, will probably uh, get a fight in the next few months against the winner of Aljamain Sterling and TJ Dillashaw. Um, That is the bantamweight title bout at UFC 280. Aljamain Sterling, once again, we've got a taller guy. Well, not a taller guy, but a guy with a big reach advantage uh, here. You know, Mm -hmm. he's got a four-inch reach advantage on TJ. Um, But I look at this and I I wonder, I'm not a TJ Dillashaw fan, but he he has pop, man, and he can he can knock guys out. Uh, Aljamain Sterling is not that fighter, and he doesn't tend to submit a lot of guys either. He tends to be a guy that just dominates fights and then wins on the cards, right? So for me, this if I'm going anywhere, I'm probably going to Dillashaw on this.
0: Yeah, and no, I don't think you're alone uh, in that prediction. Uh, at the moment, even considering, TJ Dillashaw, I think, has only had one fight in the last two years. Mm. You know, he hasn't been one of the most active fighters. So that is, you know, something to consider because ring rust is a real thing. And then you're jumping into a five-rounder title fight. And that is just another level completely, whereas Al has been here for a little while now. Um, but you're right, Al Jermaine's um, reach advantage is actually quite, it's quite weird how long his arms are, but it makes for, you know, when he, goes for those shoots and he's going for takedowns that's his advantage and you're right he's not really submitting guys on the ground but he is trying to take them into deep waters and drown them on the ground get that control time and win off the cards but I'm excited to see what TJ Dillashaw can bring too because he does bring that excitement factor we remember those wars that he had against Cody Garbrandt where you know it's a stand and bang type thing and I'm just not too sure if Aljamain Sterling would be able to you know, withstand that type of storm. You're probably going to see him trying to take him to the ground more often than not.
4: And that's the other thing is TJ Dillashaw has a really low center of gravity, particularly the way he fights. He's got quite a wide stance, and his takedown mm. defense is like I think eighty eighty odd percent. So I mean, he's a hard guy to get off his feet. I mean, you you kind of I I, I kind of wonder if we're going to see sort of you know a a street Jesus Ben Askren type uh, scenario where maybe yeah. the knees come into this, you know
0: yeah perhaps and at the same time TJ Dillashaw will want to be putting on a show here um to come back after a, you know a, a bit of a layoff and to get a title shot is is a big deal so he's going to be wanting to you know make an impression and i think that even if he doesn't get this fight going his way he's still in a good place in terms of he's just fought the champion he's still going to get those high caliber guys so he's going to want to be exciting he's going to want to put on a show you're probably going to see maybe things that you haven't seen before, him trying new things, because he will be able to do that against a fighter like Jermaine Sterling, who will want to take that fight to the ground. So striking-wise, he may have a little bit of freedom to get quite creative.
4: TJ's also a bloke who's bigger than, than yeah, he fights bigger than he is. You know, I mean, like, looking mm. at his stats, five six hundred and fifty pounds, but he's got an ego that's about six six three hundred pounds, right? So, I mean, his self-belief is through the roof.
0: Absolutely, and that comes down to a lot of experience as well. You know, he's, he's been at this radio, you know, many times before, so he, he knows what it takes and, and has those years um, behind him of, you know, cancelling out crowds, um, cancelling out cameras and things like that, going in there, getting the job done. He comes from that old-school mentality, you know, the um, Uriah Faber, you know, um, era. Mm. So I think, yeah, you know, he has that experience behind him to be able to get away with that most
4: he, definitely. He trained with Uriah Faber for quite some time too, didn't he?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, they were cornering each other, alpha male, um, yep. fighting out of the alpha male gym, yeah.
4: Yeah, yeah, so looking forward to that. What's your What's your call on that fight? Which way do you think it's going to go?
0: Oh, I thought I was going to get away with that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> never, never. <laughs> no, um, I'm going to back TJ Dillashaw as well. I think he comes with more tools in the belt. Yep. and uh, it'll be nice to it'll be nice to see uh, TJ back on top.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's that it's that pop that he's got that I think, you know, When it, someone like Aljamain Sterling, you've got to go 25 rounds and not get caught, and you've got to last 25 rounds with a guy who has knockout power, and I just don't know that he's, um, you know, after we've seen, I mean, Petey Yarn was unlucky in that first fight against him, wasn't he, with the, with the DQ, I, mm. I, I just wonder how he'll go against somebody like this, and, you know, I mean, how good would TJ Dillish or Petey Yarn be as a title fight in a few months?
0: oh, that would be absolutely exciting to watch. Two strikers, you know, on the feet. But, you know, if it does go to the ground, you know, the scramble's going to be just as exciting as well. So... I would, I would even, you know, argue that a Sean O'Malley, TJ Dillashaw mm. fight would probably be exciting as well.
4: Yeah, no, well, yeah, I think either, e- either in that in that case, because yeah, a couple of strikers going at it is uh, is what you love to see in the UFC. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the main event: uh, Charles Oliveira up against Islam mm. Makhachev the a lightweight title fight. Uh, it's going to be the opposite of what I just talked about. There's going to be a lot of cuddling <laughs> on the floor in this fight. I think.
0: Yeah, I think so too, um, that's both their strengths, obviously, and um, yeah, this fight is quite intriguing, because we spoke about, you know, Sean O'Malley not fighting those those top guys of the division in, in bantamweight, and Islam actually, is is kind of in the same boat, despite being ranked um, number four he's just such a dominant fighter in the way that he goes about his business and as you mentioned a lot of it on the ground he's from Dagestan he's coming out of you know Khabib's camp mm. so there's going to be a lot of wrestling involved and this is probably although Charles Oliveira does have strong jiu-jitsu and he's showing that in his fights he hasn't come up against competition on the ground like Islam
4: and I think to an extent He's Charles Oliveira is something different for Makachev as well, right? Because the Dagestani's wrestle differently to say uh, the Brazilians, particularly the the, the BJJ exponents. Um, so this this could be interesting. I I look at, at stats and you know stats don't always tell you the whole story, mm. uh, Ravinda. But I do look at this and I go take down defense for Makachev is eighty eight percent. Take down defense for Oliveira is fifty seven. And take down accuracy yeah. for Makachev sixty five. For Oliveira it's forty. So. Oliveira loses on both of those. So you got to say that, given this is going to be on the deck, it does look like it's in favour of Makachev.
0: I, I agree with you, but kind of don't at the same time, because I feel um, Islam, Makachev's, you know, one goal is to get a fighter on the ground and drown him there. Mm. Charles Oliveira, however, he likes to go to the ground. He chooses to go to the ground. So I sometimes feel like if he does go down he uses that as an option because he wants to be on his back and he wants to fight from there. Mm. I think on the ground, Olivera has more in his, um, you know, repertoire to finish a fight down there than Islam. But Islam is just more accurate at getting the guy down there up against the cage. You'll see Islam come out, strike, 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 push you back up against the cage, take you down. And then, you know, a ground and pound on the ground. Whereas with Olivera, I think, you take him down anywhere in the cage, whether it be against the cage or in the middle or whatever, he's got submissions for days. So I think it's it's actually quite dangerous once they're down there. You don't really know how it's going to go because if Charles Oliveira sees an available limb of (laughs) Islam Makachev, I don't think that it will survive. So the precision in this instance will have to be very, very accurate because Islam will not be able to make one mistake on any of the shoots or anything he does on the ground because Charles Oliveira will just gobble it up. So I think... I think on the ground I would give it to Oliveira off his back. But, okay. Uh, Oliveira on top might be a different story.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's particularly—it's it's interesting, isn't it, the way you put that? Because uh, if they both get what they want, um, it, you know, it's—it's the—it's exactly what the other guy wants. You know, one wants to fight off his back, yeah. one wants to get the other guy down there. Um, and yeah, I mean, what are you thinking? Armbar, body triangle—is that how Oliveira's is going to win this then? Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. Again, it all depends on the positioning, right? A lot of the times, um, Oliveira actually ends up on the ground because he's knocked down. He gets knocked down quite. um, Despite he's become quite a strong boxer and striker, but um, you know he gets knocked down and once he's on the ground then he seems to just be able to pull submissions out of nowhere even though you know he's half dazed so um, i i think he you know he just adapts to what's in front of him and he sees what's available and responds to that he doesn't really go down there with okay, when I get on the ground, I'm going to wrap my legs around him or I'm going to pull guard or anything like that. He just sees what's on offer and works from there. And that's why he's had so much success. That's why he's coming up, if he wins this fight, a 12-win you know, streak because of his ability to just adapt to whatever is in front of him as opposed to, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and if it doesn't work, you know, I'm a fish out of water.
4: Yeah. Okay, Ravinda, I want to fill my bear fridge this weekend uh, on the back of the UFC 280. <laughs> uh, you've already tipped TJ Dillashaw; he's two dollar forty outside, or Aljamain Sterling paying a buck fifty five. Uh, you going Oliveira mm. to beat uh, Makhachev?
0: Yeah, I'm going to rock the boat on that one. Um, not, it's not uncommon for Oliveira, the you know champ, former champ, to come in as the underdog, mm. and he still cleans it up. I'm going to, I'm going to back Oliveira. I know Islam is the, is the favourite. I know he's got Khabib in his corner, and I know he comes with the whole of um, Abu Dhabi behind him, but um, I'm going to back Charles Oliveira.
4: All right, and uh, just quickly before I let you go, uh, I don't, don't know if I got a prediction from you. Jan O'Malley, which way are you going?
0: I'm going to go Sean O'Malley with that mm. one.
4: You're taking all the That's outsiders.
0: The all the outsiders. <laughs> yeah. Hey, good stuff, uh,
4: Ravinda. Thank you very much for your time, mate, and enjoy UFC uh, 280 this weekend, eh?
0: will do, Ehoa. Thank you for having me.
4: Yes, uh, it is uh, twelve away from ten. Uh, just adding those up. If you uh, if you take the head to heads, O'Malley to win, Dillashaw to win, Oliveira to win. It's returning fifteen forty five at the TAB. Get amongst. 7 away from 10 here on SENZ. Uh, mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo in for him. Uh, when we, uh, before 10 o'clock, we'll give you our uh, TAB uh, bit of the day. We've got a, a team multi that we'll get away from you. Just updating uh, the football for you. Leicester 2-0 up over Leeds. Nine minutes left in that one uh, and uh, looking likely that Leicester will get another win and get off the bottom of the Premier League table.
3: Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in our This is Mornings with Ian Smith on EasyNZ. You got
7: to know when to hold up Know when to fold up. Smithy's
8: Multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run.
1: Bet live
0: on your favorite sports. Download the TAB app today.
4: Logan, we've got a, a team T, uh, TAB bet today, don't we? A team multi. Um, I've gone the Bucks to beat the 76ers at 240, which seems ridiculous money. What have you gone?
5: Yeah, going things uh, going a little bit differently here. Some may say I'm betting with my heart looking at today's matchup between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Dallas Stars. Uh, I'm picking Willem Nylander to score one-plus goals and Toronto to win by two-plus goals, and that's paying $3.50. All
4: right, and what about Brian? Brian, team member number three, what, what's your bet, buddy?
1: Or are I you, know. Am I, I, I on? You're on. Yeah, okay. So I went with um, Charles Oliveira to win by TKO, KO or a submission at $3 boosted.
4: Boom. What is that return, Hogan?
5: Together, that is going to be an odds of 25-20. So put $10 on that. That is going to pay out
4: handsomely. Oh, I like it. I like it. There you go. Uh, fill the beer fridge for the weekend. In the next hour, we're going to be talking rugby league with Ricky Henry, and we'll have the panel as well.
3: From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
4: It's three past ten here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Coming up this hour, the panel, uh, Lavina Good, uh, is going to join us as a part of the panel alongside uh, Daniel McCarty, host of the Saturday session. And uh, we're going to talk about the Rugby League World Cup, the T20 World Cup, women's football with the uh, FIFA World Cup draw happening tomorrow night in Auckland, the Silver Ferns. And we'll t- touch on the breakers as well. Plus, we'll get a love racing update from Louis Herman what. Later on in the hour, but uh, right now it's time to talk rugby league with Kiwi Ferns head coach Ricky Henry. G'day, Ricky. How are you, mate?
7: Hey, good. Thank you.
4: It's a story, bud. Uh, how how long before you jet out to the UK?
7: Uh, we leave on Tuesday, so yeah, looking forward to uh, getting over there.
4: Yeah, mate, get over there and and be a part of it, right? Uh, because it feels like, particularly in the north of England at the moment, uh, there's one thing on everybody's minds: it's all rugby league World Cup. That's for sure.
7: Yeah, absolutely. I we are enjoying the games too at the moment with the men's too. So, yeah, we're looking forward to
4: getting over there and um, getting amongst it. Yeah, well, great to see. I, I know we're going to talk about the Kiwi Finns in a minute, but great to see um, Tony Edo's Cook Islands get up over the Welsh the other day, would not it?
7: Yeah, tough game. And um, yeah, those boys did really well, actually. They um, yeah, hung tough there and yeah, got the win, which is
4: good. Yeah, give themselves a chance. I mean, they've got to beat PNG, which is you know, going to be a bit tough-ass to try and get out of that group. But uh, they've certainly given themselves a chance.
7: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, hopefully the um, yeah the Tongan team soften them up a bit <laughs> for those boys, to, yeah, for those boys to get
4: the win there. Yeah, yeah, exactly, mate, exactly. Now uh, your team, obviously uh, twenty twenty four uh, uh, women in the in the squad that's going to head over to the UK. You're, you're pretty happy with with what you've got um, following the NRLW. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
7: Static with um, the squad that we've got. Uh, got a really good balance with leadership and also um, some emerging players, but also uh, a group of ladies uh, really well-connected and looking forward to doing really um, good, big things over
4: here. Yeah, Racine McGregor, of course, uh, had a standout year. She's a halfback of the year at the Dally M's. Um, so she's, she's going to be key. Uh, I was looking at the groups, mate. Um, I don't know who did the draw, but I, I think they might have been drunk. How did, how did the Kiwis in, in Australia get in the same group? What's going on? Yeah,
7: it's a bit of a tricky one, but hey, look—you know—at some point we're going to have to play Australian, and um, you know, we don't want to sort of um, take uh, take our eye off the prize either with France and the Cook Islands. You know, they'll have a couple of uh, really good tough games for us, and yeah, look—you know—it is what it is, and uh, we'll get over there and put our best foot forward.
4: I mean, I don't know um, too much about the strength of the women's Super League. I haven't seen a lot of it. How strong do you expect England to be? Because, of course, they are in the other pool with an unlikely group of teams in Canada, Brazil and Papua New Guinea?
7: Yeah, I'm not sure either, to be honest. I've done a little bit of, done a little bit of research on England and um, obviously we're playing France first so they've had a game during the year so had a little bit of uh, look at the footage there and um, sort of how they're playing but it's um, actually a pretty tough competition on all accounts. Uh, the Super League won and they're all aligned with um, a lot of their uh, Super League teams so uh, expecting, you know, Expecting it to be, a, you know, a tough match when we win, and hopefully we get to play them.
4: Yeah, I mean, I would, I would imagine looking at that. I mean, the Kumuls will probably go alright. I don't know too much about Brazilian or Canadian rugby league, but uh, that that pool is England's to lose, right? So if you finish second in your pool, then it's England in the semi-final.
7: Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, we've got, um, yeah, obviously a tough draw, but
9: uh, as
7: I sort of mentioned, we're um, you know we're confident in ourselves and uh, what the team we've got and. The players we've got, so um, that's
4: all we can sort of focus on. Yeah, well, I'm not suggesting you will finish second uh, at all. I mean, you've won three World Cups over Aussies too, right? So you, you've got you've got the wood on on that front. You've got to say, um, how will you approach that group game against against the Kangaroos? Because I mean, there's every chance that if you, if uh, that you guys might meet later in the tournament, is that fair? Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly.
7: So we'll um, obviously we got France first, and then we took Islands and. Uh, no, those are going to be tough games for us. Um, so we'll just focus on them. And then when we get to Australia, it gives us a bit of a look, hopefully, for the uh, semi-finals and finals uh, when we play, hopefully, them, them in the, the final. Um, but, yeah, we don't want to look too far ahead. But, like, you know, our, our approach really is at the moment is uh, recovery is a big thing for us because we've got four-day turnarounds and there's four games uh, that we've to do that do it that way. So it's a bit of a tough draw. But we're not the only team that's... Um, of that situation or scenario. So yeah, for us it's about um making sure we're fit healthy, uh, making sure that we know we've done all our recovery protocols and uh, we're ready to go. Um, and firing. Doesn't matter sort of who we're playing. The
4: uh the mid year test against the Tongans, what did you what did you get out of that that you can take into this World Cup?
7: Yeah, I guess um we took a lot of, uh, we actually took a lot out of that game and also the game before that we played uh, far more in 2020 and then obviously the Portland team this year and um, of all the teams I, I think we've had two two games to sort of prepare for the World Cup whereas a lot of the other uh, nations have only had one game or none. Uh, if you think about Australia they haven't played since 2019 nineteen. They've got 30 new, uh, 13 new players and, um, you know, first time in the jersey so, yeah, like, you know, any time we get together, it's about making sure that we, um, you know, we enjoy each other's company, play some really good footy, and um, have some really high standards about what we do.
4: What's the plan once you get there? I mean, you're leaving on Tuesday, so I guess what you're you're probably looking at getting on the training paddock on the on the Thursday. Have, have you got any uh, pre-tournament games lined up? No,
7: we just we're, we're going to train uh, sort of the way we play. So we've got a few games, not games, uh, training this weekend. Yep. Coming, so we'll we'll really work hard on that and try and simulate um, sort of plane speed. And then um, we'll get out to England, uh, obviously recover after a pretty gruelling flight. Um, And then we'll obviously, you know, do a lot of training over there as well. And we're just trying to organise a bit of in the post session, not full contact, but just sort of get people in front of us really. Um, So that's sort of our approach. And then we'll um, we'll go out next uh, Wednesday and play uh, France.
4: Yeah, and that's um, it's going to be a test. I mean, you, you've had a look at the uh, tape from their game against England. I mean, England won that pretty comfortably. But uh, mm-hmm. the French, where do you think they could worry you?
7: Um, yeah, it's a bit of an unknown. I think what I'm trying to do is just focus on what we're doing. Um, you know, I know, I know we've got now, squad, and just making sure we, we took all the boxes here. Um, they do have a fullback that, that's pretty good. Um, so, you know, we're obviously kicking away from her. Um, that sort of stuff, but no, we, our focus is really on what we can do um, and making sure that we, you know, get our game cycle in, in order, um, you know, get all our, our uh, principles, etc., uh, sorted out before we get on the field.
4: How close in your head are you to knowing what your starting thirteen against France will be?
7: Um, I just actually had a chat with the ladies this morning, actually, just around, um, you know, hey, look. Every, every position's open. Mm-hmm. Um, I want us to have a, an environment where we're challenging each other and uh, no one's a, a given. So, um, you know, from my perspective, you know, there's sort of no one that's secured any position until we, we get out on the field and we start training well and we start doing everything we need to do. And, you know, we'll we'll take a look at that uh, a little bit closer as we get through to uh, the first game. But, yeah, look, you know, you've got racing. i he's a fantastic player at the moment. Um, has been for, for a number of years. So, you know, she's been great. Uh, obviously, Crystal Rhoda is another one that's um, our captain and played some really high-level football. You know, you've got Georgia Hale, uh, part of our squad as well, who's a great leader and a uh, real energy bunny around the uh, around the field. Um, then you've got some young young players and Patessa Poulou is, um, you know, a big, robust, powerful athlete who um, has done really well in the NRLW. So, some yeah, really exciting times for us. Um, and just looking forward to yeah,
4: getting out on a training pack and then getting out on the field The bulk of the squad did play NRLW but there's still a few players you know from the Point Chef Pirates and the Ponserby Ponies uh, that are going to be uh, running around in the team as well I think the Marlins have got a couple of um, mm. representatives as well The NRLW is growing uh, year on year it seems and uh, we're going to have another two teams next year How long before you think uh, the Warriors have an NRLW team back in the mix?
7: Yeah, I, I guess um, I think it's a couple of years away. Um, obviously, then coming back from uh, being based over in Australia, then you know, it's been a, a big thing, you know, for the NRL squad. But um, you know, it's definitely something that we need here in New Zealand as a bit of a pathway um, to sort of stay uh, relevant with the game, and also how the game's evolving so much uh, that we're ready, um, you know, to compete with the likes of the Australian teams. Um, so yeah, so you know, from my perspective, you know, we're Really keen to get that uh, NRLW team back in, in there as soon as possible, and you know, we've got some really great talent um, locally as well that you know that we we can call on, and um, we need a bit of a pathway. We had a couple of ladies, uh, young ladies, train with us just over the last sort the of month, and um, yeah, unbelievable talent. So just got to make sure we've got a bit of a pathway for them to take that next step and you know secure and uh, have some sustainability now.
4: Kiwi fans program and, so. yeah I mean something else I just want to ask you about Ricky and I know it's not your job but you might have some uh, some take on it you know I mentioned that, that other group uh, at the Rugby League World Cup has Brazil and Canada in it uh, and I looked at that and I went okay well that's unusual it's different dif- you know a bit different and then I realised that we, we don't have any Samoa or any Tonga at this World Cup where are their programs at given how well their men's teams are going
7: yeah, it's a bit of a um, strange one. They'll still be quite strong to be fair. Uh, we've got you know, multicultural teams. Uh, here had the moment with Samoans and Tongans and, and Maldives and, and a lot. So, you know, um, yeah, I can sort of see them being a bit of a powerhouse in the future as well. It's just making sure that you know they've got the right uh, processes, I guess, and systems and place to to grow that game and um, hopefully put teams into the next World Cup. Because I know Tonga. After our game, um, that was sort of one of the, the talking points for them was around making sure that they're available and in the next um, World Cup. So, uh, yeah, look forward to them being part of it. Uh, but you're right, um, Brazil and, and the like, um, it'll be interesting to sort of see how they go. And, you know, that sort of shows that the game is growing. Um, it might take a bit of time, though, but uh, like I said, you know, we, we're excited to be there and excited to play and uh, trying to a the forward
4: and before I let you go, mate, um, you know, Gail Broughton ha- had her debut NRLW season uh, after switching from sevens. How do you think she went? And uh, if she was available, would she have been in the twenty-four?
7: Yeah. So, um, she, um, yeah, I thought she did really, really well. Um, you know, I sort of respect what she's um doing there. She, she felt that uh, she wasn't ready for this, this next step. Um, and it's a it's a personal preference from from my perspective. If she was available, should um, should be part of the squad here, but. You know, she's obviously not. But I've got a couple of really good fullbacks as well uh, in our ranks, um, up in because of a proven performer at this level. uh has been fantastic at the Warriors and also at the Titans. And I've got um, Austin awesome Green, Stephen Daly who uh, was at the Knights as well. And, and every time she's put on the black jersey, uh, she's been you know in our top three players. So you know, as much as it's a bit of a loss for us, I um, you know I'm really confident that we've got the right players uh, in that position as well.
4: As, I mean, if you were coaching Gail week to week in a, in, a, in a club format or, you know, club situation, would you be keeping her at fullback? Because I look at what she offers. I mean, you know, she's obviously quick and reads the game really well, but she's also got size and a great offload. I think she'd do a great job on the edge.
7: Yeah, yeah I think um, like I think they play at fullback to try and keep her in the game, but also I think there's a little bit of education around how the game's played. Like, you can see a lot more at fullback. Yep. Uh, like organising defence lines and uh, people in the defence, but also uh, sort of come out the back of some of the shape that they're running. Uh, maybe, maybe that's the development path that they want to take. But like I said, I, I think she can play sort of wing, centre, uh, half, um, and I think she'll do a great job. Doesn't matter where she's. She's a brilliant athlete. Um, you know, she's got great speed and, and power and and, and like. But you know, maybe that's that's the pathway that they're, um, they're taking with her. Uh, While I was sort of coaching her, yeah, similar sort of approach, just sort of getting her to play and and making sure that she was uh, comfortable in in, in where she was and um, how how do I sort of accelerate her learning in the game.
4: Yeah, good stuff, Ricky. All right, mate. Hey, listen, thanks very much for coming on. Uh, Great to chat. Have a safe trip up to England and wish you all the best for the uh, Rugby League World Cup uh, first game against France Thursday, November the 3rd, mate. Go well.
7: Awesome. Thank you for your time and, uh, yeah, appreciate it.
4: No, no problem, mate. Anytime. Anytime. Ricky Henry, the coach of the Kiwi Ferns there with us, that uh, Women's Rugby League World Cup getting underway in a couple of weeks' time. When we come back here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, it is time for the panel. Uh, Ricardo Paul in for him and uh, joining us for the panel today, uh, Lavina, good. How are you, mate? How's uh, beautiful Tauranga?
10: Mate. And I didn't think you sounded like Smitty Ricardo, so yeah, it's good to know it's you, buddy. Good yeah, to know it's
4: you. Yeah, thanks, mate. And also joining us today uh, is the man who hosts the Saturday session, uh, Daniel the Snake McCarty. G'day, mate. How are you?
2: Rick Dog? what a treat to be alongside you, and what a great honour to be beside uh, Levina. That's a terrible pun, though, Levina, isn't it?
10: <laughs>
4: Couldn't help myself. Uh, well, they only call it Lavina good because Lavina great was already taken. Apparently, that's uh, that, exactly that's exactly. that's what I that's what I yeah. hear. That's what I hear. Hey, uh, seriously though, uh, Rugby League World Cup, Lavina. I know you'll be fizzing for this, mate. Um, we've got uh, uh, the Kiwis get their second game uh, underway on Sunday. They play the Jamaicans, and they've made quite a few changes to the team. What have you made of the of the Rugby League World Cup so far?
10: I'm into it, buddy. I'm I'm a leaguey, as you know. I go way back, so I'm actually really enjoying the Rugby League World Cup. I was actually just reading this morning because there was a bit of a gripe about some of the tickets being too expensive. In fact, you can go along to this New Zealand-Jamaica game and might be up for a £75 ticket, which is close to 300 plus New Zealand. So a few peeps have been complaining about that, but they've had 100,000 seats for the first seven games, and I think New Zealand-Lebanon got more than 5,000 to their game. So... I think it's growing uh, in popularity overseas and and the more the Kiwis win and and play, the more that people pay attention to it here. I'm into the changes. I'm really looking forward to seeing Sebastian Chris, just 23 years of age. You'd know he's a a Raiders centre. I'm looking forward to him getting a chance um, on the wing. I think he might be replacing Militalo, I would assume anyway. Mm. Um, And also we get a chance to check out Scotty Sorensen, the uh, two-times premiership winning forward for the Penrith Panthers. He'll debut from the bench. And those who are familiar with the Sorensen name sure. will know his uncles, Kurt and Dane Sorensen. So I think it's a great opportunity uh, for him. And I like the other changes as well. I want to see Nuokoro partnering with uh, Peter Hiku That excites me in the centres. I think that's a combination that could push the Kiwis forward as they face fiercer competitors. And we'll also, I think, see... Zelesniak is on the right wing, I would assume. Yeah, he must be on the right wing. So the changes are happening. Got a new captain, Fisher Harris, because Bromwich gets a bit of a spell. And the quarter will come in for Papalihi, who will start on the interchange. So not afraid to um, toss the dice at this stage is Madge Maguire to see where they'll go. But, you know, they're up against the Jamaican side. The first time in the World Cup for the Jamaicans, they lost to Ireland 48-2. So they haven't scored a try so far in their World Cup campaign and they'd be looking to do it. I do like one of their players who's the captain from the Huddersfield Giants, Ashton Golding. He can play rugby league. He's a fierce competitor and he's tough as old nails. So I don't think the um, Kiwis will be resting on their laurels too much. It's about winning, winning impressively and also getting as many points on the board as they possibly can. And I'm excited for the match against Jamaica, even though most people wouldn't be able to name a Jamaican player. I didn't even know they played footy in Jamaica, but they do because they've got six members from their club side that are representing Rugby League at the World Cup. So I'm amped, mate. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh,
4: what about you, Daniel? Uh, the rugby League World Cup, of course, uh, it, it is uh, on available on Spark Sport to watch uh, this uh, tournament. And, you know, the spread of teams and the spread of talent is probably bigger and, and, and more widespread than I would have thought about coming into the tournament.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's reflected in some of the tight games. Uh, you know, Tonga Papua New Guinea, what, that was just a converted try. Uh, I think also a converted try. Cook Island's getting over Wales. So there were a couple of uh, tight games. And you always sort of worry about the depth across the board, whether it can sort of be compelling viewing to keep our uh, interest over every single group game. I, I think that can be a bit of a concern. Uh, with all due respect to Jamaica, I expect New Zealand to win, win big. And I, I see this game as, as more of an audition, really. I, I think after this game... Everyone who's either not suspended or injured from the Kiwis would have seen some action in the opening two games. So that's the luxury of the softer draw against Lebanon, Jamaica into the key game and group stage against Ireland. So it, it might be a bit of an audition, if you will. So uh, surely uh, the real selection we should be concerned about is next week. Because uh, I think that will be the indication of who they'll go with with the playoffs. Surely, Ricardo, you, you want to build some combinations heading into those uh, into those bigger games of the tournament, so I'm probably more interested on, on the selection on that. But I'm with Levina. I can't wait to see Scott Sorensen play the 29-year-old debut debutant. That's pretty cool in itself, isn't it? Someone you know poking around 30, finding uh, cracking the, the international game. But uh, uh, to Levina's point, that's the fifth member of the Sorensen uh, family. Um, playing for the Kiwis, it's like 70 years of history, I think we can call them a dynasty now can't we uh, Rick Dog?
4: I think we can, uh, one of my favourite rugby league memories as a kid is of Kurt Sorensen who was an absolute tank, uh, being mobbed by about 3 or 4 Australians and uh, there was a bit of a, a bit of a Donny Brook as they used to say and Dale Shearer the little Queensland winger was stood off to the side just like loose arming uh, Kurt Sorensen off to the side while he was being held down and then all of a sudden he did the incredible hulk and just stood up and Australians went flying flying everywhere, and honestly, you saw Dale Shearer's foo-foo valve give out at that moment in time on screen. Shearer shows
2: some good gas running away from the scene of the crime.
4: Very much so, Lavino. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you remember that one.
10: I remember it like it was yesterday. I love the Incredible Hulk analogy. That's exactly what it was And yeah. the Aussies came in like flies or bees to a swarm. It was great. Great footy back in the day with, with a bit of beef. A lot of people say bring back the beef. I don't know if you're
4: allowed, but it's always very entertaining. Yeah, now, Laveena, um we're going to take a break for news and sport. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you, because the other game I think in this group is the one uh, that I'll be most interested in. And it is Luke Carey's Island up against Mitchell Moses' Lebanon. Um, I, I, if you can put your Parramatta eye patch off, off to the side for one moment, which way do you think this game goes?
10: I 'm partially Lebanese now, mate you know my blood runs blue and gold, so yeah. now i 'm um, partially Lebanese this way. I know Ireland did have that pretty impressive victory over Jamaica, but you know look Cleary kind of um, ended his career on the south point to decide to go overseas, and injuries have plagued him and I honestly think Mitch Moses is, is very, very unlucky not to be in that Australian side. Parramatta would not have got into the grand final without him. They needed him on top form to win against the Panthers, and he's had a remarkable year. So I'm going to vote for Lebanon on that one. All the way, buddy. All the way.
4: Yeah, all right. There we go. Uh, the panel will continue shortly. We're going to cover off the FIFA Women's World Cup draw, the T20 World Cup cricket, the Silver Ferns, and the NPC final after the latest news in sport from Aroha.
1: Talk,
9: Big Opinions, The
1: Panel.
4: Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. Yeah. 29 away from 11, The Panel is back with Daniel McCarty and Lavina Good. And uh, Daniel, you are commentating the first game of the T20 World Cup for the Black Caps on Saturday when they take on the Aussies at the SCG. Uh, my question for you is, how far do you think the Black Caps go in this tournament?
2: Well, it's tough. You've got to finish in your top two once the polls are determined. Of course, we're still going through the playoff tournament. Sri Lanka will join New Zealand. Uh, you'd still expect New Zealand to be too strong for them. But re- really, New Zealand have got, you know, according to to most of the totes going around the the cricketing globe, the number one and two uh, ranked sides. Uh, alongside them, in England and Australia, the Australians, the defending champs, of course, a very settled side. Uh, Basically 10 of the 11 that beat New Zealand in the final uh, will return for game number one. Their luxury is they get to drop a guy called Steve Smith. Yep, Steve Smith likely to be dropped um, as they bring in a guy called Tim David who's been compared to Andrew Simons. Yippee, whoop-de-doo, great. We've got another Andrew Simons to contend with. Uh, That's the the verdict of Ricky Ponting. So that's going to be tough. New Zealand are capable. We can't go past your ability um, to play almost above their heads at world tournaments, I know that is not a guarantee to happen this time around, but it does give you give you confidence that they can and uh, you know compete. So I, I see them maybe getting into the semi-finals. Beyond that, I've got them in the sort of second tier of contenders. I had them alongside the likes of South Africa. South Africa beat them by nine wickets in a warm-up game. So you know to go one better than maybe a year ago might be a bit of a stretch, but uh, you know I, I think now with New Zealand's record. Um, you're looking to make um, knockout stages as, as sort of your pass mark.
4: Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, Lavina, we mentioned there, or uh, Daniel mentioned there, that Steve Smith's getting dropped. Darren Finch, of course, got the uh, got the axe halfway through a uh, win in the Chapel Hadley series because he wasn't delivering with the bat. How far away do you think the Black Caps are making that call on Kane Williamson? And and, and do the Kiwis need to be more ruthless like the Aussies are in that in that sense?
10: Yeah, interesting points actually, Ricardo. I was just thinking about Kane Williamson as Daniel was speaking then because he hasn't really recovered from that elbow injury. And I think what, if the Black Caps want to go all the way in this tournament, you know, it, it's been a stuttering year for them, but Williamson will have to score fast and high. He has to be a prolific scorer. The other changes, I do like the fact that Devon Conway is an opener. I see him as a real solid opener and a safe opener. And then you've got Phil Allen. But I tell you what he, he's just got a variety of shots, but like sometimes I absolutely love him when he scores heaps of shots, another time he scares the crap out of me. But Gary Speed came out and said, "I want Alan instead of Gupdul, who was you know the highest run scorer in t twenty history, mm. and Alan showed against Pakistan just how explosive he could be, and in my eyes, he'll either get out for under twenty or close to a century, so if he can hang out at the crease and score loads of runs, um, I think the black caps are in with a great chance. I'm really interested whether or not Sodi will spin. I know we need to have a spinner at the T20. It goes without a doubt. But will it be Bracewell or will it be Sentler? I don't know. I mean, bracewell's pretty good with the bat as well. So that's a decision that Steve um, will have to make himself. But I actually see this Australian side as looking a little vulnerable, actually, Daniel, to be fair. I think on the back of... Aaron Finch having the woes with the white ball has yeah. certainly been unpredictable every time he comes out. Against India, he was good, but it was a warm-up mate, you know? So Australia, yeah. if they're ever going to be there for the taking, as well as their options for bowlers five and six, this could be an opportunity at the Sydney Cricket Ground tomorrow night for the Black Caps to maybe make a statement.
2: Yeah, I hear you, Levina, This is exactly what I said 12 months ago, and they went on to win the World Cup. I signed their death warrant before that World Cup. I thought they had no chance. <laughs> Um, but but for some reason they're right, and, and let's be frank, they're at home. They're at home. Australia do well at home. Um, New Zealand's best chance on Saturday night actually might be the Sydney weather. I think rain, thunderstorms in the forecast, threats oh, yeah. of that possibly that game yeah. being abandoned. That's split a point. I don't think New Zealand would be devastated at that. Uh, uh, so I we'll would leave them in a bit of a tightrope. So we're going to keep an, an eye on that. I'm going to say something a little bit unpopular here, fellas. I think we put way, um, and ladies, uh, sorry about that. Um, I, I yeah, think we man. put way too much stock in Kane Williamson um, in this New Zealand side. I think if we actually look at his career, guys, he, he's, he's not a world-class T20 player like uh, you would say in one-day and in t- in Test match cricket. You know, averages in the low thirty, the strike rate um, only around the, the 100 you know, 120 mark over his career. You compare that to Coley, Warner and the other best going around. Uh, New Zealand's a collective. Um, Conway, Williamson, the, the certain type of players, they can't carry more traditional, two, uh, more traditional batsmen than those two. So it's the sum of all New Zealand parts, I, I would say, is the key to it, to our batting
11: through that top six.
4: Yeah, the Black Caps are brought to you by Big Barrel Big Range Bigger Deals become our mate and get rewarded at bigbarrel.co.nz. nz. Uh, let's uh, talk Silver Ferns. Lavina, they um huh? they they split the squad. Uh left Peter Tuiava at home after they won the first two. Now they've gone over to Australia and they've been absolutely uh smacked uh in the first of the the game's over in Aussie. Do you think they bounce back in game 4 or or is this uh the need, diamonds to take? They
1: need to
10: send her a ticket. They're Need to send her a first class ticket <laughs> to get her over there. I mean, isn't it interesting that Aussies go down, you know, in uh, Torrunga and and Hamilton, and then everyone's like, "Oh, there might be a different team at side," and they go go home. Jamie Lee Price played like her dad did for the Warriors, like they're in a grand final. Honestly, she she went through a power of work for. Australia those netball fans might remember that she represented um, the Magic many many years ago when her dad was out here and she was only a young gun 17 years of age but she she got a chance to have a crack for Australia I thought for the Aussies also when I was watching that Jo um, Weston she did not play as far as I know in New Zealand I did not see her in those first two games but she was a menace in defense and she just rattled the silver ferns shooters and you know they've got at the other end Sophie Garvin who also didn't play who shot absolutely brilliantly so the turnover of points is really interesting because you know all of a sudden the silver ferns were thinking we've won two games we win one more we've won it but in the back of their minds it's like oh there's a goal deficit of 13 oh oh, there's a goal deficit of 13 so it was almost like a defeatist attitude and that's Mm. why they made so many mistakes from the beginning They they came out, looked lackluster. I think they had 26 turnovers against them, 24 fewer attempts at goal than what the Diamonds did. And this is a side that they had beaten twice within the last 10 days. So the Diamonds were hungry, critical, disruptive, and the Ferns kind of looked to me frazzled, disjointed, and looked like a side lacking confidence. So it will come down to the big one, which will be on the Gold Coast, which will be a decider. But what needs to happen for those silver firms, they need to have a sit down, a good old court at all and a hui with Nolene Totua. And she has to say, you need to start aggressively. You cannot afford to make mistakes. You need to set the platform for the rest of the match. Don't worry about goals here, there and everywhere. Just win this goddamn thing so we can take the Constellation Cup back from Australia. And to do it, Ricardo and Daniel, I really think they have to find a way of shutting down the captain who played wing attack, Liz Watson. She was the orchestrator. She was the Sean Johnson of the warrior days of old. She dominated proceedings. And the wing defence that comes out for the Silver Ferns has to shut her down. Otherwise, that Constellation Cup will remain in Australia.
4: Daniel, the cha- the opportunity to, to get a, a series win over Australia just ahead of the World Cup uh, doesn't seem to have been high on Nolintoro's agenda. Um, I mean, it feels more like the Constellation Cup than the Constellation Cup at this stage because <coughs> it, it doesn't seem like they're, they're, they're bothered about winning it with the way they've treated it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I think that's a fair critique, uh, Riccardo. There does seem to be a lot of experimentation, not only in the Silver Ferns, but in World Netball overall. Um, you know, how much stock do they put in this? I, I, I think fans really care about it. Um, at, at times, I wonder if uh, these teams do as much. Uh, it's a little bit strange to, to leave a player at home, go over there, lose by 15. I think these Zealand will bounce back. I don't think they bounce back by 16 goals, though. Uh, so, Australia win. So, t- explain this to me, team. So, it's two all. How do we decide who wins?
4: Points for and against.
2: Why, why, is, why, why, is there, why is there not a fifth game? Like, seriously. Yeah, exactly,
10: mate. I like, agree. Th- th- th-
2: these I these agree. series, these four-game series, decided on points to... It's a nonsense, isn't it? It's an utter nonsense.
4: Couldn't agree yeah, with you more, Daniel.
10: You. Yeah, me
2: too,
4: mate. Yeah. YouTube. All right. Uh, them, write it
10: in a memo. Send a memo,
2: Daniel. Send, 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 a memo.
4: <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, cause, send a memo. Yeah, that's going straight in the trash can when it arrives. Oh, it's from McCarty. Burn that one.
4: Now, uh, with all this Rugby League sport, uh, Rugby World Cup sport going on, Rugby League World Cup, the T20 World Cup, uh, the Silver Ferns Constellation Cup final, it feels like it's flown a bit under the radar, but tomorrow night in Auckland, the FIFA World Cup draw is done for the Women's World Cup that is co-hosted by New Zealand and Australia next year. Going to be at this thing. Ian Wright, the former England and Arsenal striker. Gilberto Silva, former World Cup winner with Brazil and for Arsenal player. Uh, we are also got, you know, Zoe sadowski Sinat's going to be there. Carly Lloyd, the two-time winner of the Women's World Cup for the US as well. Flying a bit under the radar, Daniel, are you, are you hearing much about it?
2: Oh, there's the odd story here or there. Um, it's certainly not flying under the radar as far as FIFA and New Zealand football and all the other head wobblers, as I like to call them. 800 guests. Ricardo, 800 guests will be in attendance, um, in, uh, you know, including a swag of FIFA um, fish heads of the highest order. But a great cavalcade of stars you've uh, uh, rattled off there. So it probably has gone under a little bit of the radar. Carly Lloyd, what an incredible career she fashioned. How's this for numbers? She played for the United States 316 times and scored 134 goals. Uh, an absolute megastar of uh, women's world football, no doubt about that. Um but it's ceremony, it's pomp. I'm really, I don't care much about who's there. I care about what, um, you know, balls get pulled out of what pots. Uh, the, the beauty of uh, this tournament, 32 teams, it's expanding. It's, it's the largest, so there's going to be more eyeballs on this. There'll be more people watching when the draw's actually made. Uh, New Zealand is co host the first time it's across two nations with Australia and New Zealand get a huge advantage now, don't they? Uh, because they go into pot one along with the other ranked sides. So, essentially, a group is made up, the eight groups, made up of uh, one team from pot one, pot two, pot three, pot four, all the pots determined by world rankings. New Zealand would normally be, Ricardo around pot three, wouldn't they? Uh, So, Mm. they they would have generally two stronger teams in their pool. New Zealand will be in pot one. They're guaranteed um, that. So, uh, New Zealand, Australia will have favourable draws. I'm just keen to see what names get plucked out and who uh, our football ferns will go up against.
4: Lavina, is it is it something that you've uh, that's grabbed your attention? Did you even know it was happening?
10: Mate, it'll grab my attention next July when it kicks off. But mm. the fanfare is underway. I was pretty cool. Ian Wright's coming. I mean, the Crystal Palace God. I was like, that that's awesome. You oh, know, that, to bring him along. And we're, a few of us have heard of Carly Lloyd because she, she won those two titles for. The USA, but I've got a couple of buddies, Ricardo, that are footy frenzy freaks, and they're mumsies of teenage girls um, that are hoping to develop their game to get scholarships overseas so that the gra- the game grows in popularity and they can head overseas to university. And they mentioned to me yesterday actually, it was just over a cup of tea. Hazy IPA, mate. It was actually a Hazy IPA. <laughs> and um, they mentioned to me yesterday that the, the World Cup um, is bigger than the Men's Rugby World Cup in terms of global television audience, which I had no idea. Mm. And they had all the facts. They said in 2019 in France at the Women's World Cup, 1.1 billion viewers in terms of global television audience watch in comparison to the Men's Rugby World Cup, which is about 873 million. So, it, you know, it'll, I think it'll grapple New Zealand once it kicks off. Um, next year in July and I feel as though the sentiments of those that have Um, teenage girls or even primary school girls that are hoping to develop their football career to have opportunities overseas will engulf us here all over the motive I would assume so I'm excited about it when it happens not so much excited about the fanfare that's happening with the draw I'm more like Daniel waiting to see who we will be up against and who in fact England will be up against they're the European champs and I I love watching the Poms play uh, football the beautiful game whether or not it's are the men's all the women's, but they had that victory recently, 2-1 over the USA, which was a friendly, and they had the nil-all draw with the Czech Republic. So I'll be keeping a good old eye on England throughout that as well. And I, I'm actually looking forward to this tournament being hosted by Australia and us here in Arteiroa next year. Bring it on, mate. Yeah, bring, great. It on,
4: bring it on indeed. Lavina. thanks very much for being on the panel this morning, mate. Great to chat to you. Go well. Have a great weekend.
10: Easy, you too. Nice to speak to you and Daniel. Have a good one.
4: Thank you. And uh, Mr. McCarty, before I let you go, I know you've got the Saturday session tomorrow, but uh, as a died in the wall tragic Wellington rugby fan, how is the PTSD uh, head of playing Canterbury for the title? 2006, 2007,
2: 2008, 2009, 2013, 2019. Have I got the last six finals right? Owen oh, 6 Owen oh, 6 and, and, and I only go back to 2006. I'm sure there's more since they last won 22 years ago. I heard someone say, "Was it to guy Havel during the week that uh, you know it's been a long time since Canterbury won it. Hey They won back in 2017, and that ended a streak of nine and ten years Come on, Canterbury, just give us one. That's all I ask. Just one. <laughs> We're not being too greedy. We're not being too greedy, just one.
4: Just one, Just one. We'll hear more about that on the Saturday session uh, tomorrow from uh, 10 o'clock. Daniel, thank you for your time on the panel.
3: Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
4: Breaking news, Ricardo. Breaking news indeed. We had a text earlier this morning from Duncan, who is Claret and Blue, saying Villa were poor this morning. What are the odds of Stevie G being gone by the weekend? Well, Duncan, I can tell you that he's gone now. He left as soon as the game finished, uh, basically. was uh, I don't know if he's left or he has been relieved of his duties. This is the club statement from Aston Villa. Uh, the Aston Villa Football Club can confirm that head coach Stephen Gerrard has left the club with immediate effect. The club spokesman said... We would like to thank Stephen for his hard work and commitment and wish him well for the future. That is the entirety of the club statement. So, yes, Stevie G has slipped out of a job at Aston Villa, uh, much like he slipped out of a title race at Liverpool. So uh, that is Aston Villa looking for a new manager going forward. And uh, we'll uh, see who they go to. Thomas Tuchel has been talked about It is 8 away from 11 When we come back, Louis Herman Watt joins us For a Love Racing update
3: He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa This is Mornings with Ian Smith On SCNZ.
1: The loveracing.nz update Your home for everything Thoroughbred racing Visit loveracing.nz Racing's biggest fan <laughs>
4: <laughs> Racing's biggest fan is with us right now, Louis Herman Watt, uh, three away from 11. G'day mate, how are you? Yes, Rick Dog. I can't wait to go home, have a feed and go to sleep. <laughs> right, I, it's been a hard week on Brekky, Uh but what have you got for us
1: uh, today from a Love Racing point of view? Well, Waverly races today, and a little tasty morsel as a warm-up ahead of tomorrow's Cox Plate I actually think there's a winner today, and it's pretty simple. Craig Grills, Robbie Patterson, strike rate through the roof, another baller. Second up today, and Group Barrier, a very attainable maiden field of fillies and mares. Race two at Waverly, 25 minutes past one. I mean, it's short. Like, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to find this. If you got the $2.10, you were laughing, the eighty now. I mean, you could pray for a little bit of a drift, but as I said, that strike rate between the jockey and the trainer is so high. I don't think it'll be drifting. It's just a nice little multi-filler, maybe. Um, tonight, there's Group 1 racing at the Valley, of course. Cox Plate Carnival kicks off. And if you're still awake at quarter past 11, congratulations, I won't be. Uh, you can have a bet on Paul Alley on behalf of me, because I think Paul Alley, third up here, strips fit. This is probably the target race all along. It showed a great will to win last start. Barrier 4, James McDonald, over the distance, th- one, three times, run second. Um, goes good in this sort of state. It just looks like Paul Alley is going to be too sharp for them here. Calling cool and gatter, obviously, the big threat down the bottom of the book from barrier one again, Wish she did it last time. But I just think she probably won't get the distance like Paul Alley will. Yeah,
4: all right. Interesting. And um, where are you going to be this weekend?
1: Here. Here.
4: You're going to be here. Do, yeah, oh, yeah. You're, yeah, you're the, doing the Good, the oil, good oil, oil tomorrow, of course. Oh, is this a, bit, is this
1: a trick question? No, no, I just thought you might, you know, you,
4: you're, you're often on the Rove, punting
1: somewhere. I, uh you yeah, know, mm. yeah, you're right. I was last weekend. Mm. Um, no, I'll be here with Shticko, uh 7am guest on Breakfast Radio this morning, and Clado. and now here's something that's mm. terrifying for everyone involved. Yeah. they People that listen to the Good Oil know that we are uh, due for a bunch of winners. And we're also due to stop infighting. Yeah. Well, I've just checked our best bets in our little WhatsApp group. Mm. There is serious crossover this week. Really? Which means that either we're going to have a filthy fill up and the radars are finally dialed in or we're all just going to look like idiots and be in the same boat. So Sticks, Claytoe and me locked in tomorrow. We're going to take the uh, Cox Plate and then we'll handball it over to the lads with the cricket. We'll catch up with you from the FIFA Women's World Cup draw as well, Rick, and yeah. um, punt all day long. Sounds like a plan, man. Sounds like a plan. Have a great
4: weekend. It is coming up 11 o'clock here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. When we come back, Brendan Laney is going to join us. We'll talk the NPC final this weekend. Right now, though, it's
3: News & Sport
4: with Aroha.
3: Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
4: Three past eleven here on SENZ, and that sound can only mean one thing: the chainsaw is back on air. Brennan Laney, g'day, mate. How are ya? Hey, Ricardo, how are you, buddy? I'm oh, good, <coughs> mate. I'm good. And yourself? How's chit uh, chit's treating you today?
9: Yeah, yeah. No, we've uh, we've got a, not a beer we did in crushes. a crushes. We were we were breezy, but uh, I think everyone's looking forward to getting Friday over and done with. We can go and have a beer and enjoy a long weekend,
4: mate. It sounds it sounds like a plan, especially when you've got an NPC final in town.
9: Yeah, exciting for the town. Really, um, I think the way the, the guys have played this year, the Canterbury guys have have they've, uh, they've got some bums on seats coming to watch them. They're playing an exciting brand of footy, and um, and then we've got a Wellington side who's um, played extremely well as well, and you know grabbed the shield and made it made it theirs for the year, and and, um, and played some really good rugby, particularly in the semi-finals. So it's going to be a hell of a final.
4: It, it, mate, it is. It really is. I mean, I I watched uh, the two semis last weekend, and the thing that stood out to me, if I'm a Wellington fan, uh, I'm looking at the way Bay of Plenty dominated the set piece against Canterbury in that first half, and the way that uh, Wellington's pack smoked Auckland, and, and and there's a lot of hope there.
9: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the other thing for me for Wellington is the experience I've got, particularly in that uh, nine jersey. You now TJ adds a hell of a lot. Um, he's been around in big games. Um, and um, and also love the way that um, Jackson Bassett's been playing. Um, he's really stepped up in the ten jersey, and and then they have just got some really really exciting players who are even off their bench. And and I think just just for myself, I think the bench is going to be a big key too. That's somewhere where the you know the Canterbury guys have got a lot of experience as well, and they can tend to bring on guys and, and can finish a game or add. So. Um, I think it's going to be a real key for, for not only Kennery, but in the game. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how the Wellington guys do
4: handle that. there's a lot of experience in nine in general in this game, isn't there? Because old uh, Bake Bean yeah. Willie Hines is, uh, is is probably going to be wearing it for the Red and Black, and that that's going to be a great matchup.
9: Oh, it's been great to see Willie back in in, uh, in New Zealand, and you know he, he didn't want to finish his rugby when he was playing overseas, and and um, you know he was still fit. I had a week unto him when he came back, and he was still fit, really enjoying it. And um and he's and he's been really good for them. Um and like she said, it's that experience thing. And, and in big games too. Um that's where I'd say if you are probably a beating game, there's probably um you know, you you have to look back at the history that, that Canterbury's that had, um, particularly in the NPC and, and in finals. So, um and there's been some players involved in that. But you know, look there was a couple of years ago too, so Um, I think that's why it's going to be such a good game to watch because this Wellington side is going to come down and throw everything at them. And they'll have to. They're going to have to go out there and score tries. And they're quite capable of doing that. So uh, it's going to be up front. They're going to have to win that battle first, and that kind of uh, pack's not going to be uh, not going to be easy to get over top of.
4: No, they won't be, mate. I mean, they're always combative. They're always big. They're always physical. One thing, uh, I mean, we'll talk a bit of All Blacks fifteen maybe a little bit later on. But I, I you know, Brody McAllister and George Bell both been named in that All Blacks fifteen as hookers. Um, but I thought they both got outplayed by Kurt Eklund last week, who I think it's incredibly unlucky, the Bay of hooker, and, you know, mower's going as well, so that's going to be another great match-up, mcallister mower to start the game. Yeah, it is,
9: and, and look, I, I don't begrudge the boys who got picked in that, in that All Blacks 15, um, <clears throat> but I, I, I tend to uh, agree with what you said. You know, Eklund... Um, you know, he was on the verge of a bit of all-black stuff. There. He was probably the next cab off the rank if someone got injured. And next he's missed out on an all-black 15. So, he, what are they using that 15-4? It's sort of a weave of mixed messages for me. But, um, look, I, I think that the the and the 4-pack have, have gone really well. You know, they've got you know, Dominic Bird in there who's experienced as well. He's played exceptionally well for them this year and had a bit of experience there in the pack and just a bit of muscle as well and um i just think they'll just <clears throat> excuse me they'll come down here and just throw everything at them they you know really I know it sounds silly. What have they got to lose? I don't know if they're going to lose a final, but really everyone's going to be back in Canterbury because of their record. And Wellington, um, I think they're going to come down here and just throw everything at them. And I, I I think they've got some really exciting talent out in the back that um, if they get a bit of room, they can break a game open. So I think that's going to be the cool part about
4: watching this game. Yeah, well, I mean, guys like Reuben Love, I mean, he has made that All Black 15 yep. as well. But, I mean, there's a guy that can play 10 or 15, and he's really broken games open for Wellington this year. He was superb against Auckland last week.
9: Yeah he was And he deserves a selection in that All Black 15 too You know They're obviously looking a bit further down the track But the guy can kick He can pass He can break it The bit that's exciting to me Is he can break a game open And uh, I think that's, that's the part that um, Wallison's really going to need Because they want to get a few opportunities to score against this um, sort uh, of sorry, this Canterbury defence, and they'll have to take them. So um, guys like him in particular, we'll, uh, they'll be looking for them to really uh, step up and, and make that difference. Our
4: uh, Moa as well, mate. I mean, I mentioned him earlier, but uh, boy, you can tell he's mm. been he's been training with Dane Coles because uh, the way he scored that try on the wing <laughs> last week—that's uh, that, classic Seagulling from Colsey, <laughs> isn't it?
9: <laughs> exactly. He must have been watching the old videos for sure. But but we knew he could do that sort of thing too, didn't we? We've seen it before. He's been outstanding with ball in hand. And he just seems to be making really good decisions too with ball in hand. But he's such a tough wee bloke, isn't he? Mm. You know, he he sort of reminds me a wee bit of to Kevin Millamy, the way he runs. He's, he's bustling, he's hard to put down, he's strong and um, you know, guys go and they think they've made a hit on him. But he just seems to bounce out of it and carry on going. His leg drives just outstanding. So he'll be another key for them too. So that's And that's why I think Wellington will be coming down with a bit of confidence
4: because they've got some cane breakers in their side. Yeah, he's got a lot of toe too. I think mean, probably a bit more toe than Colsey. I mean, he scored that from about 30 metres out on the right wing, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, well,
9: anyone's got a bit more toe than Colsey. He's in the long days. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Mate, um, we we should talk uh, about that, that All Black fifteen. Uh, you know, like you said, mixed messages. It, it doesn't seem to be one thing or another. Uh, that team is not don't really a development play. team, you know. And I, I don't begrudge it of him because he had a good season. But you, you know, when you got Bryce Heeman there at thirty three, it's a bit of a head scratcher. And you know, TJ and Brad, we know what they can do. I thought maybe take one of them and you could get another younger half back in there with some experience. It's it's an unusual one. It is,
9: and I think they've sort of looked at that. Trip overseas, and I said, well, "Well, we we can uh, quickly grab someone from that side and bring them into the All Black setup." I, I that's what it looks like to me. If, if it was a purely a development fifteen, and looking further down the track to um, not, not this World Cup but next one, then you would have probably looked at that sort of age group of twenty to twenty-four and gone, right, we're going to pick that sort of uh, All Black 15 and take them away and give them that experience. But when you look at Patrick Tupelo, too, I know they're going to have a captain, but really we know he's there or thereabouts with the All Blacks. i have used him before. He's played plenty of tests, and they pulled, him, they pulled him straight in after being in Japan. So for me, I would have picked someone else and taken them and, and, and uh, given them a bit more experience. Um, so, yeah, I, I just... I can't quite keep my head around what that All Black 15 is. Is it a development squad? Or is it a... And looking further down the track to a World Cup? Or is it uh, the here and now? And, and trying to help out the All Blacks when they on tour? So, yeah. Look, I, I wish, wish them all the best. And I'm looking forward to seeing them go. You know, obviously, you've got a great coach with Leon. And the rest of the crew that are going with them. Um, and they'll have a bloody great trip and it'll be exciting for some of those guys but I, yeah, I just wondered what that actually was as a team, what what were
4: they picking it for? Mm, yeah, it's an interesting one, mate. It's a conversation that uh, we, we could carry on. But I, I wanted to get your thoughts on something else, mate, as a as a proud Highlander. Uh, the news today that Manaki Selby Ricketts going to the Chiefs next season um, for me was a bit disappointing. <coughs> I, I don't have a horse in either camp here, right? So I'm not a Chiefs fan. I'm not a, yep. not a Highlanders fan. But I look at it and go, the Highlanders have got uh, Tupu Vai they've got Brody Ritalic, they've got Josh Lord, that's three all-black locks right? Mm. Uh, they've got uh, Akoi who's there or thereabouts as well. Now they've got Selby Rickett. From a New Zealand rugby point of view uh, and probably a Highlanders point of view too uh, wouldn't you rather see um, these guys spread a bit more so they're playing say 60 minutes each week rather than coming off the bench and playing 20?
9: Oh, I agree with you more mate. I, I, that one's a real head-scratcher for me. Um, Look, I don't know what conversations have you had with with the Hollanders and, and Selby Rickett either. Um he obviously um, didn't play a hell of a lot um super rugby wise. Um, and you know, I, I think there's a couple of boys down there, particularly in that Targo squad who who um, they may be looking at slightly differently. Um, so those conversations between Selby Rickett and the Hollanders might may, may be slightly um, different to what we're thinking. But I I totally agree. What's the point of him going to the Chiefs if he's if he's coming up against guys of that experience and, and who are definitely going to be playing, aren't they? So yeah, I just don't I don't get that. I um I I think that the New Zealand rugby's gotta look at that in particular and say, Well, we've we've only got an X amount of talent base, we've only got X amount of positions and we need them playing rugby, um, for the for the better of the game. So you know, I, I think he's probably going to go out there, he, uh, barring injuries, he'd probably be sitting on the pine quite a bit or even in the grandstand um, watching all together. So, yeah, bit of a huge to that one I must admit.
4: Yeah, and where does it leave some? Uh, you know, a team like the Highlanders who have kind of mm-hmm. o- often been, you know, sort of the, the poor cousin of the New Zealand Super franchises. I mean, we've seen, you know, George Bridge, for example, has decided to go to France rather than, you know, try his hand somewhere else like the Highlanders. Uh, then this happens. I mean, uh, Clark dermody has got his, his, his work cut out ahead of next season, doesn't he?
9: Yeah, he has. Yeah, definitely has. Um I look at the sort of, there's a couple of young guys down in that Hollanders group um that have pulled in. Um I like the look of this Fabian Holland. Um, mm. he's uh he's a young kid that's got a lot of wraps on. He's a big tough poker and you know, he's abrasive and he, he played extremely well and, and I know uh I'm pretty sure the Canterbury guys are probably a bit gutted that they missed out on him. But um yeah, I like I think the Hollanders are it's gonna be interesting to see how they rebuild their team. I know that um, Tom Dolly's gone in there as the as new Ford's coach. He'll certainly get in the Um The boys will really enjoy his style. And then obviously, you know, you've got Clark Dermody who's um, taken over as the head coach. So I, I think it's quite exciting for behind for, um, us. But um, it, it all comes down to player base, doesn't it? And who they've got, what cattle they've got to work with. So that, that's going to be interesting. And, um, and they're obviously getting pretty close to finalising there. The roster and name and all that. I presume it'll be in November sometime. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, look, it's I, like going back to the Selby Ricketts selection. I just, yeah, it just doesn't make sense really. But anyway, we'll, we'll, the Highlanders will box on, mate. We'll be at the top there somewhere, Ricardo.
4: Yeah. Well, <laughs> that, yeah. That's the thing because I don't know how much New Zealand rugby can do about this now. It's a professional environment, right? Because they they, they, they don't yeah. control the clubs.
9: No, that's right, and, and it's probably going to be more of that, isn't it? Mm. At the end of the day, there's less amount to spend, or budget to spend, and they're going to try and work that as wisely as they can. Um, and, and that development side of things is tough too. You know, you've know, got to be bringing guys through when there are guys going out the other end. So yes, how much say the New Zealand Rugby Union has, that would be very interesting. But I'd say probably not as much as what they'd like sometimes. Yeah.
4: Um, now, have you got a prediction for us for the NPC final before we go?
9: Look, I, I, I as I'm living in Crosschurch, and I've got to go and buy my lunch down the road. I'll probably get hoodwinked if I Sid Wellington. So, I, look, I I just think that maybe the uh, Crusader, uh, the, sorry, the Canterbury boys might just have a a touch more experience around that final time. And going on the result they had earlier in the year, but hey, look, finals are funny ones. But I'll, I'll, I'm going to take Canterbury by about eight to ten points in the final. All
4: right, Canterbury by eight to ten in the final. We've had a text from Richard through as well, mate. I mean, you did say it's Friday. You can't wait for the end of the day for a beer. It sounds like you, uh, Richard suggested you might need one now. He said chainsaw. It sounds more like hacksaw. <laughs>
9: Uh, tell Richard
4: to get bugger off <laughs> 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 Well do brother Hey uh, Brendan thanks good very much for coming on mate. Always good ah, to chat, man. have a great weekend eh? Yeah
9: same to you Carly. Good
4: man Cheers. Uh, Brendan Laney there with us talking uh, the MPC final and a few other rugby matters besides It is 11.17 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith When we come back Greyhound Racing New Zealand CEO Edward Rinald is with us
3: DNZ. Summer or winter He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa this is
4: Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11 23 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in for Smithy while well, he's away at the T20 World Cup. But joining us now from uh, Greyhound Racing New Zealand, the CEO, Edward Rennell. G'day, Edward. How are you? Yeah, good morning,
8: Ricardo. Good morning, listeners.
4: Now you were on with um, with Smithy a few months ago uh, on the spot. Um, you've had a, f- a few a uh, few weeks now to get your feet under the desk. Uh, how are you settling into the role?
8: Yeah, at lo- loving it. Uh, clearly, uh, I think started one September, so it feels like yeah more than six weeks ago at this point. But um, no, look, lots of challenges and um, working through them. We've got a great team here, and um, yeah, I think. Yeah, there is a lot to look forward to positively. While we, you know, there are also those challenges that we need to address. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm very happy and confident in terms of the future.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I know that there's an SPCA campaign which we'll talk about shortly, and and you are making progress. But you know, you said there are challenges. I mean. I, I saw a, a story a couple of weeks ago about a trainer being banned for eighteen months for you know uh, involving drugs and things, and those those things never look good for the no. sport. But, I mean, is that one of the challenges you're talking about? And how, how are you how are you taking those challenges on?
8: Yeah, look, the, the key challenge we've got at the moment is the industry is under review. So um, the ROB, or uh, well, the Racing Integrity Board, the um, doing a a full review of the industry and um, they're due to report to the Minister for Racing on the uh, 12th of December. So their review is looking at, in particular, the the, the key steps we've taken around animal welfare and ensuring that we offer a safe and appropriate environment for our animals, which is paramount. So there's a a lot of work and steps being taken to try and improve our performance in that area and there's been a lot of progress made. The issues, there's always issues that will come up um, mm. and we have had three positives to uh, myths, um, and in each case you know they were a result of a routine swab of a dog but in each case there was no evidence from the ROB investigation of a deliberative administration so it seemed it was a situation where there was contamination from um, the person associated with the dog rather than you know, it being given directly to the, dog, to the dog. So that's always a concern, and you, you would love to have none, but mm. that is a, you know, probably a societal problem that we're, you know, we're, we're no different to a lot of industries. But it does highlight the, the testing regime and you know, the need to ensure we present a good product and make sure that the, the racing is, is drug-free. So yeah, I it's mean, the testing working
3: how how do
4: you um foresee you know in a perfect world when you when you have the review done and you can look at all the everything that's come out how do you how do you see um that that looking i mean is this is the best way to police this you know sort of uh trainer licensing and and, and having stricter stricter rules around that i mean and vetting i mean how how do you go about it do you think
8: yeah look it's an ongoing problem an uh, ongoing issue to continue to improve standards within the industry and that's been pretty encouraging the discussions we've had with our participants. They're 100% behind us and the need to continue to enhance what we're doing. So a good example is you know, we need to try and reduce the number of um, injury instances in races so the, the dogs are getting injured less. So there's no silver bullet answer to that, but it it's a, goes across a number of work streams in that um, we've recently employed Bill Wilson, who is Um, leading track um, curator from Greyhound Racing Victoria Now Bill's role in working for us will be to be the national track manager where he will work with each of our um, tracks around the country and the curators at those to to basically ensure that all our tracks are maintained appropriately and are presented at an appropriate level to minimise injuries so that's going to be a a great development in, um, in terms of how we present our racing, but we're also other areas. We're looking to build a straight track at Monunganui um, which hopefully will be operational by one one April. so the instance you know that will cater to the um, sprint dogs in that region. So the intention there is with a straight track that the the dogs are not going around the corner, so this is less impact. yeah you know, it should be better from an injury perspective for the dogs racing there yeah I mean, we' are also uh, sorry carry on there's mm-hmm. lots of other lots of other things we're doing, but it's all in around the injury space to try and reduce the incidence. now you you'll never completely reduce it um, the other key one we've done is the preferred box drawers now this had never been done anywhere else in the world so Australia uh, uh, looking at that with keen interest we are basically dogs in the c one grave we determined what their preference is and then they will be allocated draws um, based on that. So it means, say, if you had a a dog that is a wide runner, you don't really want him drawing one or two, and then cutting across the rest of the field and causing contact. So under the, you know, if he's a designated wide runner, he will generally draw six, seven, eight. So he will stay out wide, and you know, the contact and collisions hopefully are reduced. So there's things like that are pretty innovative. But, mm-hmm. I mean, we're trialing and, and mm-hmm. introducing just to try and. The whole aim is if we can reduce some of the contact and collisions, we're providing a more safe environment for for our, our, our animals.
4: Yeah, which is which is fantastic, and you know what, uh, you know I think uh, want to see the industry wants to see as well. Uh, tell us a bit about the SPCA campaign that uh, that you launched this week.
8: Well, yeah, we didn't launch it. Um, the SPCA have, and look, yeah, it's disappointing the timing of it. Uh, it's a bit of an orchestrated campaign, yeah, you know, clearly. We're an industry that is under review. Um, we've got a, a, an independent, robust review being conducted, and that review is to be completed in, in December. And we are fully cooperating with that, and that's our focus. Um, it would be premature to come out with you know, lobbying around the closure of it while that review is pending. Is our position. Um, so we, we were pretty disappointed with it, but look, it is what it is. You know, we've got to get on and do what we do. and Take all the steps we're taking to try and make you know racing as safe as it can be, and take all the steps to ensure that you know as an industry you know, we protect and look after our animals. And you know, yeah, yeah. You know, and the other comment that has been made um, is around our transparency. Well, mm. we provide a quarterly report to the minister. The report's on all our animal welfare issues. We put that on our website. We've just been in the process of working through animal welfare KPIs, um, which um, we've, uh, was signed off by our board on Wednesday. You know, we will be transparent and held accountable on those, and uh, we will be placing those, continuing with the quarterly reports um, post-December, which we will, you know, assuming we get the green light to continue, and as part of that, we will report on those KPIs. So it's completely open and transparent, and, you know, we're happy to be held to account.
4: And it sounds like progress is definitely being made, Edward. Um, we've got uh, a couple of big meets uh, today, uh, one in Addington, one in Palmy. Are you uh, managing to get along and catch some action?
8: Yeah, I've gone to a few meets just as much as anything to, to get around and talk to participants and, and get the feel from them. Um, everyone's pretty excited, obviously, with a Cup meet, meeting coming up on the Thursday of New Zealand Cup Week, so I think that's a key focus for a lot in the industry. And, yeah, you know, we got fingers crossed. I think last year we got it just over nine hundred thousand turnovers. So we're hoping that it might be the first Greyhound meeting in New Zealand where the turnover is over a million dollars. So that's certainly what we're hoping for and working hard promoting to try and help ensure that is the case. But whatever happens it will be great racing that night.
4: Yeah, I look forward to it, mate, and uh, congratulations on the progress you are making, Edward, and, uh, and what is a challenging time for the industry, but uh, good luck going forward and uh, hopefully we can uh, chat again soon and, and talk more about uh, how things are, uh, are changing in, in Greyhound Racing. Yeah, love to. Thanks for a wee help. Yeah, no problem at all. Edward Rennell there, the Greyhound Racing New Zealand CEO. You can tune into SENZ every Sunday from 11 for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed, hosted by Greyhound experts Mark Rosinowski and Dan Roberts. You won't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing's, uh New Zealand's Dog Speed show. Uh, coming up, it is uh, just about time to play Stumped. If you want to play Stumped, a $100 TAB bonus bet is on the line. $100 TAB bonus bet is on the line. Give us a call now 0800 150 811 0800 150 811 and when we come back from the latest in news and sport uh, one of you can have a crack at uh, scoring yourself that 100 tab bonus bets here is araha now with the latest in news and sport
5: for review <laughs> but upon review you were right you won now
4: we're up to a hundred dollar tab bonus bet yeah exactly mate exactly so uh yeah it's all to play for today Heading into the weekend, what better thing than hundred bucks to throw on the tab? Yeah,
5: and especially with the uh, the show multi that we put together today. If you get this hundred dollar tab bonus bet, you put it on that, and it comes through, you you're doing much more than filling the beer fridge, as you say.
4: Yeah, indeed, indeed, which is which is great news. I mean, yeah, I mean, what do we say? Ten bucks on pays two fifty. So you chuck your handy on it, comes in, it's two and a half grand. Boom,
5: boom. All right. Well, first out of the crease. Good friend of the show, good friend of the station, Zay from Auckland, come in, mate.
4: Watch out for Chelsea, Ricardo. <laughs> not, not worried about Chelsea, mate. Don't worry about them at all. Don't you worry about that? United just just smashing all the big all the big teams. Right, like Chelsea six clean sheets in a row, five clean sheets in a row. Yeah, but you haven't scored haven't recently, though, have you? Spider,
11: mate, you watch
4: out. Yeah, you're not scoring a lot of goals, though, mate. So we'll be all right. <laughs> You guys aren't scoring many goals either. (laughs) We've got two more than you did yesterday. (laughs) Two more than you did yesterday, buddy.
5: All right, Rick Dog I I know you're sensitive about menu, all right? Okay, all right. This this is about Zane. We're playing stumped. Zane. Come on, Zane. Zane. Sorry. Uh, Yeah. Your topics to choose from today you've got the T20 Cricket World Cup, the Aussie NBL, and the NHL. Ice hockey, take your pick. We'll
2: go T20 World Cup.
5: All right, good luck. How do you like New Zealand's chances first off there, Zaid.
11: Oh, it's a tough group. England and
2: Aussie in the same group, so it's pretty tough.
5: For sure, for sure. All right, first question for you, mate. Tim Pringle, son of former Black Cap Chris Pringle, is playing for which nation in this year's T20 World Cup?
11: Is he playing in the World Cup?
5: Tim Pringle is, yeah.
1: Um,
2: England? One of the worst things I have ever seen
4: done on a cricket field. Ricardo, He's playing for the Dutch, isn't he? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and the it goes. Oh, first
5: ball stumping. I guess that's what happens when you attack uh, your beloved Manchester United. But... find me up, Zayd. Find me up! Dicks <laughs> uh, at the crease, Mark from Christchurch, come in, mate.
4: G'day, mate. How you go, Yeah, good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, good. I've got nothing but praise for your soccer team, so <laughs> just remember that. <laughs> I, I, I will, mate. I will. I will. I like a bit of brown nosing. That's fine. I'm good with that.
5: But, buttering, buttering up just nicely. All right. Next question for you, Mark, here. Topic is the T20 Cricket World Cup. Who will captain England
7: Oh, I haven't got a clue. Joe Root.
6: One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
5: Yeah, when I test these questions, Joe Root did come up, but not the answer. Josh Butler. That's a couple of chips. Don't make it
4: right in the slot and the way it goes. Sorry, Mark. Wow. Apologies. Apologies. Okay.
5: Second ball something. So brown nosing doesn't work either. <laughs> Uh, last at the crease, last chance one more question here to go Kerry from Two, come in
3: hey how guys
5: how are you liking your chances here Ricardo's on a streak here he's oh, definitely
3: he's on a roll
7: I just want to form a difference
4: <laughs> <laughs> I feel that
5: alright one question $100 TAB bonus bet up for grabs Namibia caused the first major upset of the T20 World Cup by beating Sri Lanka how many runs did they win by?
6: One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
4: Is he going to go 3 for Uh, 3? I've got no idea so it's a a guess. I think Kerry was close though. I'm going to go 1 less. I'm going to go 14.
6: One of the worst things I have ever
11: seen done on a cricket
5: field. Well, there goes your chance of potentially filling a beer fridge, mate. The correct answer I was looking for was 55. Oh, well, insane, was insane result there for, for Namibia taking out Sri Lanka like that. But Sri Lanka are through to the Cricket World Cup there. But that does mean, Kerry, that you get the $100 TAB
4: bonus bet because that is the rules of have stumped. That's awesome, guys. Thank you. What, what are you putting it on, Kerry?
0: Um... I
8: quite like Wellington to beat Canterbury.
4: I think we'd all like that, uh, mate, just quietly.
8: And East Coast to beat Mid Canterbury.
4: All right, so I'm picking. There's not a lot, not a love from Canterbury in uh, your household, Kerry. No,
1: no, and, and I might even, um, I might even um,
4: go with Whanganui to beat South Canterbury as well. <laughs> the trifecta. Well, good luck, mate. Hope it comes through for you. Yep. Cheers, guys. Cheers, mate. Have a great weekend, Carrie. Um yeah, stumped it'll be back on Monday uh with fifty dollars to give away. I was on a hat trick then, too.
5: On a hat trick. That would have been that would have been the stuff of legend. That if was a you tough last happen. question
4: though. Tough yeah. last. Uh, runs is always like the amount of runs like a you know, it's like pff, it's like a needle in a haystack, those ones. So yeah, it's always tough. But no nah, good stuff. Well done to Carrie. Uh coming up next, Mick Guerin's gonna join us. We're gonna talk some harness racing.
3: Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
4: It's a quarter away from midday here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Of course, you can... uh, Tune in from midday every Sunday right here on SCNZ to catch all the harness racing action from across New Zealand. It is called Trot's Talk from Midday till 1. Thanks to all the great New Zealanders at Harness Racing New Zealand. And one of the team that is on that is Michael Guerin. G'day, mate. How are
11: you? I'm good, brother. I'm, I'm having a great day. It's a really crazy busy week for, for racing of all sorts because um, we had the harness racing last night at Alexander Park. We had some really cool stuff. We're a horse called Copy That the defending New Zealand Cup champion it won a race off 55 meters behind so we had to start on a race over 2200 meters but it started 55 meters behind the horses off the front line now Steve I've been going to Alexander Park for 34 years and that's the first time that's ever happened wow it's never happened before so it was remarkable to watch um and I got it completely wrong because I thought he couldn't do it, but he did. And he heads to the New Zealand Cup, which is on November the 8th. Now, the reason I'm bringing him up is a whole bunch of the horses who will meet in that New Zealand Cup, which is our biggest race. It's actually our biggest race of any code. It's bigger than all the Gallups races. It's just a big old day. All those horses go to Ashburton on Monday. So they all tee off against each other, including the Australian Star, uh, listen to this name, punters. if you haven't heard it before, because you're going to hear it again. Rock and roll do. Now, he's a New Zealand breed horse, races in Australia, won the Victoria Cup. So, Steve, him and all the New Zealand horses all go to Ashburton, uh, which is a harness-raising stronghold, and meet on Monday. So out of that, it's sort of like quarterfinals of a rugby or rugby league World Cup. There'll be winners, there'll be losers, and then you sort of shake your head and go, what does all that mean? And who's going to win this big New Zealand Cup thing in a couple of weeks? So it's a really transitional weekend where some dreams start to fade, some totally disappear, and others become embellished. So what we're going to do on Trots Talk, and we've actually moved the time of it, so it's now 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. So for punter's listening to this, if you want to join in. 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, we're just going to have one whole hour of preview, previewing Ashburton. We're going to get you all the info. We've got like 10 guests that have been organised by Greg O'Connor. And we're going to say to them, give us a winner. Help these people on Labor weekend. They want to have a bet on Monday. Of course, you bet responsibly. But help us help them make some money. So that's going to be the guts of the show this Sunday. Um, so that's the harness racing. They also race at Addington tonight. And they race in the wonderful Manawa 2 on Monday. But away from the harness racing, it's Cox Plate weekend. And the Cox Plate is the race which gave us one of the greatest races in all time, Bone Crusher versus Waverly Star. It's the race of Sunline, it's a race that was won by Lap. So it's a big deal. It's one of the great races. And tomorrow morning from eight o'clock on the mail run, Louis Herman Watt and myself will be just talking about Cox Plates, trying to tip your winners in New Zealand, but trying to find your winners from there, we'll try and talk to someone from the Chris Wallace stable. We'll talk to people who have horses racing at this level what it means to them when you start swapping life-changing sums of money, because that's what these are. So that'll be tomorrow morning. So your weekend with SEMZ looks like this, Stephen. 8 o'clock in the morning tomorrow for two hours. Then the Good Oil Punter's Club in the afternoon, which is a fun way to digest racing. And we'll kick into Trot's talk, 11 o'clock on Sunday. And Stephen, as you can imagine, much like you when you go to the motor racing or the league or all those things you love, You just rub your little hands when you get up in the morning, you light up on the coffee, and you say to yourself, this is why I do the job. This is going to be some fun.
4: This is going to be some fun indeed, Michael. Listen, thanks very much for your time, mate. Go well, and good luck on the punt this weekend, eh? Thanks, brother. Cheers, uh, there we go, uh, that is uh, Michael Guerin 11 away from midday and you can uh, join Michael and Greg on Sunday from 11 o'clock, not from midday 11 o'clock for all the Harness Racing action uh, that is uh, when Trot's talk is on New Zealand's uh, home of sport, SENZ all thanks to the great New Zealanders at Harness Racing New Zealand we're uh, close to 10 away from midday and a couple of texts have come through, um, Mark, he's obviously in the, in the Christchurch region uh Kairi will be o for three with his selections. Uh that's uh, his takes so obviously Mark Pratt Cantab. Uh if you missed it earlier, Carry's picked Wellington, uh Wanganui and East Coast to win this weekend, which means that uh Canterbury, Mid Canterbury and South Canterbury would all have to lose. Uh we will also had a couple of texts in uh, this one uh from Jimmy. Rick Dogg, mate, have a football question. If our old A-League team, the Kings, had to change their name to the Knights because of the Sydney Kings NBL team, then how can the South East Melbourne Phoenix uh, be allowed to call themselves the Phoenix? Do they have a Tuatara-style setup? I don't think they do have a Tuatara-style setup. It's a really good question. Maybe it's just because the Wellington Phoenix aren't as petty as the Sydney Kings. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's the only thing I can think, mate, to be fair, but uh, thanks for bringing that to our attention. And, uh, Jared, uh, pleased to hear from McCarty about the Constellation Cup results. What nonsense it would be if it came down to points difference to uh, decide who wins the trophy. These, uh, Games are hard enough to win, especially away, and these two teams are traditionally always close. That one from Jared. Thanks very much for your text. Keep them coming through. On the temper bedpost text machine, double eight, double three. Temper and bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. Nine away from midday. When we come back, Mark Stafford joins us to let us know what's happening this afternoon right here on SNZ. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it.